and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. gentlemen to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you from beautiful Northwest Pennsylvania live as we are each and every weekday, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. right here on Global Star Radio Network. We are also live on a video which you can find on YouTube as well as on we are simulcast on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, don't forget we have two websites. We have HagmanReport.com and we have HagmanAndHagman.com and also don't forget the uh, latest my dad has been updating and reviving the old site, the Northeast Intelligence Network, HomelandSecurityUS.com, and both on HomelandSecurityUS.com as well as on HagmanReport.com. At the very top of both of those sites, we have a, a great segment that was put together yesterday. Um, it's from, from an interview we did with Randall Terry, and it's perfect, the timing of this couldn't be more perfect, refusing to understand the greatest threat we face, Randall Terry Hagman Report Special. Now, this is, uh, again, very timely, very important, as we had over the weekend the latest in the Islamic terror threat, the Ramadan attacks, the London, uh, what they're calling the London Bridge attacks, was uh, took place on Saturday, evening, uh, London time, about 10 p.m. London time, and, you know, uh, just on the, a few weeks after Manchester, here we are again, actually, I believe Manchester was two weeks ago today, today or tomorrow, and we saw this weekend uh, some more terrorism. We saw three attackers who finally, uh, after a while of other investigations and arrests in the U.K., that these attackers had have been named, two of the of the attackers were named. The third one is still yet to be released. And, uh, this was, you know, a crazy terror attack. They used a multi-prong approach. You had, uh, these men in a van, in a rented van. And what they did was on the London Bridge, they began to, uh, attack with the vehicle, mowing down almost 20 people, uh, in the bridge attack. And then, leaving the vehicles armed with with fake suicide vests and with knives they began to stab people eating dinner at restaurants and drinking at pubs and right away many people were calling it terrorism there was actually a a feud if you will where drudge report tweeted something out you know another terror attack unfolding and the the president retweeted the retweeted the the info that Drudge put out. Drudge tweeted fears of a new terror attack after van mows down 20 people on London Bridge, which uh, a Trump tweet followed, and NBC News refused to retweet or even share the information about Drudge or President Trump's tweet, saying President Trump has used Twitter to share news reports on London incident. We aren't relaying any president's uh, we aren't relaying president's retweet as the info is unconfirmed. And again, uh, 
seven dead, 45 plus injured in the, this latest attack in the UK, uh, just the second in as many, uh, in as many weeks. And we are going through the same, uh, the, the crazy psychology of in the UK and in other media outlets trying to, you know, ju- not justify the attacks, but make excuses for the terrorists. And we're going to get into the terror attacks in this first hour and some of the other information uh, that is related to it or came, came uh, directly from it. But first, portions of tonight's broadcast are brought to you by proflowers.com. That's proflowers.com. We are going to have more on that later. Now, back to London. The, uh, many of the, the media outlets online in the UK, uh, began to document and create timelines as to what happened. What's really interesting about this is within, I believe it was eight minutes of the police being called about the bridge incident, is eight minutes later the police shot and killed the three uh, Islamic attackers. But back to the original attack, uh, one of the attackers was an ex-KFC London tube worker, and uh, the killer and his two accomplices murdered seven people after mowing down uh, revelers in the central London before going on a rampage wearing fake bomb vests and wielding hunting knives. And there, there is a number of, um, there's two, again, two identifications. There was a number of arrests following these attacks. There was up to 12 arrests within the first 24 hours. And there is, um, quite a bit of footage shot by people who were on the streets, not of the actual attack, but of the aftermath. And, uh, there's a few interesting side stories that came out of this. One was the, uh, President Donald Trump came under heavy criticism when he referenced, um, the terrorist attack and then, uh, tweeted about the executive order he issued relating to the travel bans, the two executive orders that were shut down by, uh, lesser courts over some, uh, you know, precon- or misconceived idea that they were racist in nature or that they targeted a specific uh, religion or or, uh, belief system uh, or actual nationality and that's neither here nor there but the you know the president continues to take heat even though he wants to extend the vetting and he doubled down on on his travel ban claim saying you know we are going to implement this and and people are arguing about the terminology, whether it is a ban. Uh, again, it's a 90-day temporary ban which allow, uh, from seven majority Muslim countries, which allows the uh, the intelligence agencies and our, our uh, other federal agencies time to expand the vetting process, but people are calling it, uh, you know, racist, hateful, the same old, same old. One interesting, um, as we do, we always see how the media both internationally and here in the U.S., like to use these terrorist opportunities to, one, paint people who blame Islam as, uh, you know, crazy conspiracy theorists, racist, uh, Islamophobics. And we always see the media either, you know, parading out these talking points or um, using it for, you know, an excuse to, to lift up sometimes even the groups who commit these acts, and this time was no different. One of the more interesting stories that came out of this latest terror attack was from CNN. 
Now, folks, I don't know how many people saw this. I did not post this on the website <clears throat> on HagmanReport.com, but still, it is a very important story. CNN was caught staging a, a, a fake protest, I guess you could call it, as in the first 24 hours after the, the London attack. There is video on uh, a number of sites, and it all stemmed from some bystander who had their, their phone or a camcorder and recorded what CNN was, was as they were preparing for a news shot. Uh, subsequently, the news shot was picked up by the AP, by BBC, and a number of other news organizations, which purported to show Muslims holding um, holding these signs, and I'm going to uh, find out exactly what the sign says, because now I, I don't remember. And folks, if you just do a basic search, uh, CNN fake news, this pops up almost immediately. CNN reporter is caught up in fake news row after being accused of setting up Muslim counter-terror protest. And uh, what the, they were trying to show were demonstrators, Muslim demonstrators against extremism. And video was taken of the group being positioned behind TV crews yesterday by a bystander. And again, CNN was uh, accused on Twitter and, and several other media outlets as creating a narrative. And this is exactly what this was. And Mark Dice did a great video today. I believe it's only about three minutes <clears throat> where he points this out, but he doesn't just point this out. He doesn't just point out the fact that the, the news, uh, that the narrative was being shaped, that CNN was caught staging the, a scene with the aftermath of this terror attack. He goes on to, point out an example, and I'm going to pull it up here because it's definitely worth the read. He goes on to pull up an example of a journalist, uh, Gene Foreman, uh, who wrote a book, The Ethical Journalist. And in this book, they go. he goes on to talk about how uh, most print journalists reject the stage managing of news photographs. That is, the directing the people being photographed to do something for the benefit of the camera. These photojournalists argue that a posed photograph cannot ethically be presented as a found moment. A noteworthy example of a stage managing occurred in the Los Angeles Times in 1993. While covering a fire scene, a Times reporter Mike Meadows suggested that a firefighter go to a swimming pool and pour water over his head to cool off. The result was a stunning photograph, but when the photo director Larry Armstrong discovered the circumstances in which it had been taken, he suspended the reporter, saying, when you manipulate the situation, you manipulate the news. And again, uh, Mark Dice on his YouTube video today on CNN caught stage managing scene in London Aftermath goes to lay this out in his video, and that alone is worth the watch. So again, the ethic, in The Ethical Journalist, it is written, when you manipulate the situation, you manipulate the news. Now, what happened with CNN? There were uh, a group of, of people with the hashtag turn to love and hashtag for London and hashtag ISIS will lose. They're holding up these paper signs. There's about 15 people, um, 15 to 20 people in this photo shoot. And as they're setting up the photo shoot, you see these people each reach down to the ground and they pick up, they pick up their sign and they are paraded in front of a camera and you see men with headphones on some holding microphones, some in front of computers, 
urging people to get into the scene. At one point, they'd even pull two white police officers out of the scene and replace them with two, what looks appears to be two Asian men. And they were called out on this um, by, not only that, they were caught on video uh, staging this. <clears throat> CNN has since denied the claims that it positioned the anti-extremism, anti-extremism demonstration behind the c- cameras to create a narrative insisting the group, group arrived uh, to be seen by TV, TV cameras. But, again, CNN, this is all too, all too familiar. We see uh, a major news agency creating a scene, creating something unnatural that's not naturally happening, and parading it around as news. Now, what is accomplished by, by creating a fake protest of believed to be Muslims speaking out against the latest terror attack. Well, there's a lot there uh, that, that we need to talk about because, one, CNN has to create this narrative of Muslims protesting a terror attack. Why do they have to create this narrative? Because it is not happening naturally, even by Muslims <clears throat> in a place that has had two devastating terror attacks, in a country that has two devastating terror attacks, alone just in the last two weeks. Why should that be troubling? Well, can you imagine, and and we see it all the time, I guess I shouldn't say could you imagine, we do, we, we see it in reality all the time, the constant pandering by the media to terrorists and to Islam, jumping in as soon as a terror attack happens, uh, you know, tearing down anybody who, and calling them Islamophobic, calling them racist, anybody who even identifies the terrorism as Islamic terrorism, then they have to create these fake protest groups because none seem to happen naturally, at least in the Muslim community. Uh, I was listening to a few you know media reactions from today, and Michael Savage, he mentioned, you know, when is the last time we've seen a moderate Muslim or moderate Muslims, you know, on TV uh, calling against this violence, calling against these terror attacks, on any of the networks, whether it's CNN or, or Fox News. And he went to point out that Saudi Arabia um, owns 18% of Fox News, or one of the princes of Saudi Arabia owns 18% of Fox News, so don't expect to see it there. But again, the man who filmed this um, this this fake protest, who posted it online, uh, he posted it on Twitter first under the hashtag fake news and the reporter for CNN was Becky Anderson. Now, there are a few more stories online, uh, and I will post one on Hagman Report when I get a chance, probably after the show. But the video was shared more than 14,000 times on social media network and liked more than 16,000 times. The man who filmed the footage, um, he claimed that the white police officers left the protest scene around the time the news crews came, and... Uh, put minority officers in a more visible position. In other words, he claimed that the footage was being staged. On top of that, he was the one who who filmed it. And there was a, a large outcry on social media. Sites like the Gateway Pundit and others um, called CNN out for this, and CNN denied that they that they even though that it's on tape, even though that you can hear and see the people directing these people to pick up the signs, to stand behind the police line, to get move one way or another, to to be able to fit into the shot. CNN cont- continues to deny that this was uh, created by them. 
And not only that, again, I said, many other news agencies picked this up. You had the BBC. You had, um, I believe, Sky News picked it up. Uh, the AP ran it as one of their you know, top pictures of, of coming together in the face of, of tragedy. And by today, by the time I checked, only one or two of the sites had that actual picture uh, up there. They had the same articles, and they described the same things as in this you know, fake protest, but they actually removed the picture that was staged by the CNN news footage out of their picture of what the article uh, originally talked about. Now, uh, there's a lot of excuses being being tossed around as to why this attack happened. Who were these people? Where were they from? Were they national? Uh, were they were they immigrants? And more information is coming out from there. Again, there was a delay on the names that were released <coughs> due to the continuing investigation being done by the police there, as there was at least ten or twelve more arrests that took place. Um, in the last 24 hours since this attack has happened uh, Saturday night. So will we see more arrests? Have any of the arrests led to more actionable intel? If you remember after the Manchester attack, we saw a number of arrests take place, and then we saw the the threat level raised to critical, where the army was actually pushed out on the street. We're not seeing that same kind of uh, government reaction this time, but what's interesting is that we now see that they are reporting this was not just, you know, a, a group of, of Islamists who decided to do something. This was part of a terrorist cell, a sleeper cell, and uh, that they, were, they do believe that they were working with other uh, terrorist networks in carrying out this attack. Now, there's a, again, there's a lot more information coming out about the attackers, which it seems all too common with this type of, of, of attack that these people were known to the government. These people were being monitored. These people were being surveilled by the authorities in the UK. Um, and there is a whole host of red flags from this guy having some kind of farewell barbecue to the day before or the week before um, to a number of things that, that you know make you ask why if these people were being surveilled, why weren't not why were these red flags glossed over? Why were they ignored? Could the surveillance and intelligence communities of the UK been able to stop these people? Uh, especially since again they knew who they were. These people were under surveillance. They were on watch list, and they were actually being watched by the government. And <clears throat> um, so there's a lot here. You know, the, the the they describe the one guy as the ex KFC worker. And one interesting thing, uh, another thing, one of the, they say the ringleader, and I don't, ha- I don't know the, the name of the ringleader. They say that this was a very nice man. He bought ice cream for the kids. Uh, he helped older people shop in their neighborhood, and what was very friendly. Never um, were there signs to the neighbors that this guy was a, a dangerous terrorist. So, I believe we're going to learn more about exactly who these people were. And will we? What will we see in in uh, terms of a response? We're already seeing Theresa May talk about some questionable things, and uh, Infowars had a good piece on this, uh, which I will pull up. But Theresa May took a, a, a kind of an odd step. Well, I guess not an odd step. Many people are saying that 
this uh, Theresa May's response was very dangerous. I guess it's surprising, not odd. Surprising. Excuse me. Okay. Theresa May uh, came out, and this is what the, the Independent reported. The dishonest and dangerous response of Theresa May's U.K. government to the horrific terrorist attack of the past month is unfortunately all too common when it comes to those in power. Now, what did she do that uh, was so surprising? She called for the U.K. and government policies in the U.K. and its leaders to push through an authoritarian expansion of state power, specifically by censoring the Internet. Uh, Theresa May's government is using the attacks to push for regulation and censorship of the Internet. As reported by The Independent, new international agreements should be introduced to regulate the Internet in light of the London Bridge terror attack, Theresa May has said. The Prime Minister said, introducing new rules for cyberspace would deprive the extremists of their safe spaces online and that technology firms were not currently doing enough. We cannot allow this ideology, the safe spaces it needed to breed, yet that is precisely what the Internet and the big companies that provide Internet-based services provide, she says. And she goes on to cite the Conservative Manifesto, which states the Conservative Manifesto pledges regulation of the Internet, including forcing Internet providers to participate in counter-extremism drives and making it more difficult to access pornography. Now, I could go on to, to read her statement, but I'm not going to do that because we all know that this is uh, uh, a big joke, if you will, uh, calling for the Internet to be regulated uh, because of the the continued terrorism that is happening in her country is something that uh, does not compute for a lot of people. And InfoWars pointed out, and I'll, I'll pull up the article from my history because I can't find it on their front page, they pointed out, that just uh, a few weeks ago, I believe it was May 19th, that is, is it an interesting that Theresa May, again, or, or I guess the first time, was calling for tougher Internet regulations. Um, this article, Kit Daniels from InfoWars, posted today, June 5th, flashback, British PM pushed Internet regulations before London attack. Perfect example of problem, reaction, solution. And I'll just read the first paragraph. Uh, Kit Daniels wrote this. I'm reposting this InfoWars article from May 19th to document how British Prime Minister Theresa May wanted strict Internet regulations, including curbs on free speech, weeks before the London attack this past weekend. This is a prime example of how the government fuels a problem, Islamic terrorism, then offers a predetermined solution to the problem, which only expands government power at the expense of individual rights without solving the actual problem. And that's very well said, and the article goes on to talk about how Theresa May wants the UK to pioneer online speech regulations that would effectively create a new government-controlled Internet. Now, in the UK, we know they already have hate speech laws for the the general public. You cannot say something nasty to, to another person. You cannot, um, you know, call them a terrorist. You, Basically, you could get arrested for calling an actual Islamic terrorist a terrorist. So the, the free speech laws are already in place. Uh, and how would these Internet regulations actually affect uh, stopping terrorism 
or the ability for these people to communicate. I don't believe it would for a second, and I know many of our audience uh, don't believe that for a second. They're using this as an excuse to gain more control over the Internet, which, you know, I guess could be the last frontier or uh, still the Wild West of free thought and ideas. And we see companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, that don't censor the terroristic content. They censor those critical to terrorists. Or if those people who might hurt the terrorist feelings, we see that they will ban those accounts, shadow ban those accounts, censor those tweets or, or posts, you know, 24-hour suspension, 12-hour suspension, whatever it is. We remember with the Manchester attack, we saw that four to six hours before it happened, uh, an ISIS affiliate used Twitter to actually post about the uh, upcoming attack, the impending attack, and the actual location of the attack. And I don't have the the uh, that tweet right in front of me, but it definitely talked about a terror attack. You know, this is for Islam, and uh, he went on to say Manchester Arena. Now, what's interesting about this latest London Bridge attack that is being barely reported, it's not being reported by by many news outlets, is that the terrorists, as they after they ran over uh, the people on the bridge when they got out before they started stabbing people, said this is for Allah. This is for Islam. And for some reason, that fact uh, and other important facts are being kept you know, mainly in the dark, censored from the public eye. And that is very concerning, yet it, at the same time it is par for the course with these people. Um, we are coming up against the break. We have a, a great show for you tonight uh, with the guests that we have on. In the third hour, we have Sheila Zelensky coming on. Her website is Weekend Vigilante. She wrote the book, uh, uh, The Green, Green Gospel. And she's going to be coming on to talk about the Paris Climate Accord in the, in the third hour. And, uh, how many of you guys remember Loretta Fuddy? Well, Hugo Fuegan is going to be coming on in this next segment. And we're going to get an update from him into the Loretta Fuddy investigation, as well as, uh, other updates that he has, that he has found. Uh, as he's been a previous guest on our show. So we got a lot of stuff to get into, folks. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stay tuned. series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are um, going to get into uh, the Loretta Fuddy, an uh, update on the Loretta Fuddy investigation, um, and a lot of, of updated information, both visual and audio, uh, with Hugo Fuegan right after this message. Dad's out there. Dad's out there. Let me ask you a question. Do you love steak like I do? Of course. Of course you do. You know, I remember last Father's Day, I got a package from Omaha Steaks, and it was fantastic. We grew up some fantastic steaks, and what a taste, and what a great, uh, how exciting it is to get a package of Omaha Steaks. And I'd recommend anyone listening out there who's got a dad, who's got that special guy in your life, get him the gift of Omaha Steaks. Well, I'll tell you, if you're looking for a Father's Day gift, the perfect Father's Day gift, may I add, we have the perfect Father's Day gift for you. Let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how to get this Father's Day 
before this Father's Day for only forty nine ninety nine, you can get our limited time Father's Day package when you go to omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. That's omahasteaks.com, enter HH in the search bar to apply the savings. You might ask yourself, why Omaha Steaks? Why not just go to the grocery store? Well, Omaha Steaks has got the highest quality beef. It's got a one-of-a-kind flavor. It's convenient. All the beef is USDA inspected for quality and exceeds standards. Age 21 days to unlock the full flavors of the cuts. It's hand-trimmed, vacuum-sealed. It's so convenient to get. Online support with recipes, wine pairings, and so much more. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving you, our listeners, a limited-time offer for Father's Day. This is a really amazing deal. You'll get 80%. That's right, 80% off Omaha Steaks Father's Day package, which includes, now listen to this, Two tender mild beef filet mignons. Oh, yeah. Two bold beefy tip sirloins. Those are great. Everything's great, by the way. Four crispy chicken fried steaks. Four juicy boneless pork chops. Four all beef Omaha steak burgers. Four award winning gourmet jumbo franks. Twelve ounces of all beef meatballs. Oh, are they, those meatballs alone are just fabulous. One pound of steakhouse fries. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. You're going to want more. One Omaha Steaks seasoning packet plus four additional burgers free. That's right. All that for $49.99, under $50. You can't beat the price, especially this Father's Day. Again, this is a, you get this limited time package for only $49.99. When you go to omahasteaks.com, type HH in the search bar and add Father's Day package to your cart. One more time, you go to omahasteaks.com, type in HH in the search bar, and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. This offer will end soon. Go to omahasteaks.com, type HH in the search bar, grab your dad, and fire up that grill. Joining us now is Hugo Fuegan. He is an aviation expert as well as an author, and the book that he authored is The Fuddy Hoax. Um, and we have Hugo with us. We're going to get into, uh, he's a returning guest. We're going to get into some of the important information that we have covered uh, in previous shows, as well as some of the updated new information that uh, Hugo has uncovered. Hugo, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Thank you. It's very nice to be with you. Well, it's great to have you. It's been a while since uh, since we've had you on, and a lot of people uh, might ask, who is Loretta Fuddy? If we can, let's start there. If you, if you can give us a little bit of background into uh, the investigation, the very detailed investigation uh, that you've laid out in your book, The Fuddy Hook. Well, Loretta Fuddy was a Hawaiian Department of Health official, and she was appointed by Neil Abercrombie. Uh, specifically, it would appear, for this time period where uh, President Obama, former President Obama, uh, needed to get out his real long-form birth certificate. He was prompted somewhat in that by Donald Trump, who was trying to uh, uh, get that done. And she was able to produce a document, but uh, that was notably seen by many experts as fraudulent. And it has been investigated by people like Sheriff Arpaio and his cold case posse at, uh, in Arizona. And they have determined as well through expert examination that that was fraudulent. So uh, Loretta 
Fuddy was in the hot seat for explaining how that might be fraudulent, and there were court cases uh, ongoing that might well have brought her onto the witness stand for explaining how that might have happened. So rather than see that happen, I believe, uh, it was important that she disappear from the uh, real-world scenario and uh, be disappeared, if you will, as a valuable asset to the ongoing narrative of the Obama presidency. Yes, and folks uh, uh, who remember uh, what, who Loretta Fuddy was and you know the, her role in, in Hawaii and, and the birth certificate and the whole Obama-Trump uh, fiasco, uh, I believe it's still very relevant today. And Hugo, let me ask you your opinion on this. With Donald Trump in the White House now, are you surprised that we have not seen uh, any release of Obama's records? Is that something that is out of Donald Trump's hands, or uh, and do you expect him anything to him to show anything along these lines? Well, I believe that there probably will be disclosure of Obama's records uh, over time. The interest uh, to see those outweighs the ability to keep it hidden, probably. Uh, but that's speculation, and I'd prefer not to do very much of that. Um, I think that uh, we will hear about Obama's background, and certainly we can know a number of things that uh, haven't been uh, disclosed thus far. That is, there are people more willing to speak now, as perhaps I am as well, uh, that is, uh, without Obama wielding the control of the presidency, uh, I, as well as others, are more willing to come forward and explain some of the background of some of these activities, which if I had done while he was still president would have been uh, very more difficult. Yes, and again, uh, your book, The Fuddy Hoax, is uh, a, a very, very detailed account. And folks, uh, again, Hugo is an aviation expert. So not only do we have you know the, the political side of this, uh, with everything that we saw um, that came out in the media from Donald Trump's questions to, uh, you know, the birth certificate. But there is so much of this investigation that you will never see reported on the mainstream or even uh, on most alternative media. Uh, some either think it's it's non-important or a non-issue uh, or that there's nothing we can do about it. But, you know, uh, it brings to mind that the, the Seth Rich investigation that many of us have been so... Uh, heavily investigating, trying to uh, understand what really happened, especially when we see, you know, the uh, the reports it was a failed robbery. Then we learn that he he very well could have been the the DNC WikiLeaks leaker, and then you know his his uh, untimely death, the police reluctancy uh, to either stand down or or you know whatever was going on there, and just all the outcry we have. You know, this is a very similar situation, just different circumstances with Loretta Fuddy, because the Loretta Fuddy wasn't a leaker. She wasn't going against the administration or the administration's narrative, but she was in a position, as you say, uh, Hugo was in a position, uh, potentially to not change her story, but to, you know, tell the truth or, uh, to tell what was really going on and, and, and conveniently, as happens so often in these cases, especially when things are, are going to court or could be coming out in the open, these people um, conveniently pass away. And this seems like a, another example of a potential political hit being done to keep something 
covered up. So, a lot of people have, a lot of people have thought of this as a uh, possible murder. And uh, although I have a lot of evidence that suggests that wasn't the case, uh, they would think that it might be appropriate to get rid of that uh, fuddy voice in that fashion. Well, I, I believe that she was a valuable asset who had done her good work for the uh, political partisans that she was favoring uh, in a way that I think would redound positively to them if she was taken care of rather than silenced with a murder. That is, there would be a lot of uh, people cringing in closets rather than helping uh, the previous administration if they treat their, their very valuable people this way. But as I say, I'm quite sure by the evidence that Loretta Fuddy, as a high-value target, if you will, was extracted from the scenario that we we know about and in which many people think she was murdered, but I'm sure she wasn't. Yeah, and, you know, this is what's really interesting about this case specifically is even it, let's just dismiss all the surrounding uh, political stuff from, from this. You have one... It, this happened, um, this was a plane crash where there was an NTSB investigation done too. There was an actual video made from the plane of the plane crash. Everybody survived except, uh, Loretta Fuddy. And there are, uh, there, there's basically a video of her in the water, um, alive after this happened. So there's a lot of, of, of evidence here. There's a lot of, um, uh, there's government reports with the NTSB, the plane crash. It was a very, uh, public thing that that happened. So if you can, um, Hugo, let, let's go through this a little bit. The Red of Fuddy was on a plane. It went well, down. There is an official narrative, of course, and there are those things that we were told. But the things we were told and what really happened are at great variance with one another. And fortunately, uh, even though I believe the people that uh, planned this event uh, were in favor of making that video and seeing it uh, displayed prominently throughout the world. Uh, I think it has done them more harm than good because it un what unfavorable to their cause discloses many 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 facts that uh, ultimately helped break this case. It wasn't the only thing, of course, though. I believe they wanted to uh, squelch the birtherism, as they call it, uh, the people who had uh, concerns about uh, the documentation of this president and uh, whether it was uh, uh, able to show him as being eligible for the presidency. So a lot of people have mischaracterized that about so-called birthers, but uh, that narrative, I think, is a very honorable one. It doesn't uh, claim things that uh, were not true. It simply asks the question of when are we going to see legitimate documentation that is not ultimately shown as fraudulent. But we can start with uh, the official narrative, okay. and uh, maybe your tech person can go to slide two, which shows kind of a map overview and it shows there the Hawaiian Islands where this crash took place. And there in the left middle is the island of Molokai, where there's a peninsula on the northern side. It's a five, mile squ five square mile peninsula. 
And at the northwest edge of that peninsula is a runway uh, called Kalapapa Airport, which is near the small settlement uh, that has been over the past 150 or so years uh, a leper colony uh, that has been administered by the Hawaii Department of Health. And uh, that'll be in the lower right portion of the screen. You can see a few of the uh, buildings that are in that settlement. But the uh, runway is on the northwest edge. And uh, you can see there a red track uh, departing runway five at that airport. And there's a red X in the middle of that track. And it shows where there was claimed to be a catastrophic engine failure of a Cessna Grand Caravan, which was flying with eight paying passengers and a pilot, a very high time pilot, very experienced it would seem. But uh, so that plane had that failure or claimed failure at that red X or thereabouts, and then put the airplane in the water at the capital D that one can see at the top of that map on the right side. So that was the that was what happened. That is, we know that it ha it landed at that particular place, but the person or the airplane that came upon the event within minutes of uh, its ditching into the water actually reported to the uh, uh, Honolulu Control Facility of the FAA and the U.S. Coast Guard in turn that the aircraft actually was at where that yellow pushpin is on that map. And that was, uh, there were also lat lawn coordinates given. And so the confirmation of that being a half mile offshore and that coordinate, which is indeed a half mile offshore, uh, tells us that uh, the pilot of that uh, first aircraft that came upon the scene was not exactly telling the truth. Uh, elsewhere, the FAA has them recorded as initially reporting 300 yards offshore, and that's indeed much more accurate. And uh, could have, coincidentally, we'll learn that it may be quite relevant that the location of that, if it should have been within a, a quarter mile of shore, was to be treated very different by the authorities, that is, uh, Maui County uh, would deal with that kind of an incident very differently if it were outside the quarter mile boundary of where it occurred. So it uh, actually did occur well within the quarter mile boundary, but it was reported by several people, and among them that first on the scene aircraft, uh, as having been a half mile or even more outside uh, the, uh, well, away from shore. Now the uh, there were pictures that showed what seemed to be an aircraft, I guess we'll come to that shortly, so I, I won't uh, jump ahead, but basically there's a lot of question in terms of what the official narrative was about where the actual aircraft put down. But we do have very accurate measurements, and we know in fact that it was very close to 234 yards from shore. We've measured that in a number of different ways, and it's been confirmed in several others, so we know where that aircraft landed. So if we hear what the pilot has to say about that, in addition to claim of a catastrophic engine failure, which 
lost all power for the aircraft, and it's uh, the engine stopped, he said. Those parts of the narrative turn out not to be true. And uh, even though he claims that the uh, engine stopped, we'll find that we hear in the background of the video a very nicely running, smoothly running engine. And that's a problem for this scenario because uh, people have made various claims about everything having gone quiet. As pilots testified to the police and said, everything went quiet. But uh, that is in conflict with uh, what, the, what we hear on and see on the video. So there are problems like that. And the narrative, as it's uh, shown uh, both in the media and in the NTSB report, is shown to be false. And uh, we don't have to make an interpretation about that. It simply is contradicted by solid evidence that uh, is very hard to controvert. Now, I mentioned the, pilot, the passengers saying uh, everything went quiet, which, in fact, is a uniquely uh, consistent representation, literally verbatim, between several passengers. And uh, one might say, um, uh, how is that possible? I mean, there are counterclaims. The pilot says as well that it was, there were all kinds of bells and whistles going off and yet it was quiet. So that's a contradictory statement that uh, the videographer made in the media, which uh, just doesn't seem to bear, uh, it can't be possible. And similarly, the video that uh, we have actually has six seconds of quiet time, and then after those six seconds, the engine magically starts up again. And that, too, is a physical impossibility that shows the official narrative cannot be the case. But uh, we should move on, and let me ask the tech if he could uh, move on to slide three. Okay. And there we, there we see that even though the pilot represented the airplane to have uh, be, uh, had this so-called catastrophic engine failure at 300 feet, we see in the video of the takeoff that the airplane climbs literally on the runway heading for about 500 feet, which is a very standard takeoff profile. And then it begins turning for another 28 seconds, uh, ultimately achieving the same place that the pilot said in terms of over the ground. But it was not at 300 feet as he claimed but it was in fact closer to about a thousand feet or maybe even as high as 1500, which in fact was uh, two numbers that were on the lips in the media of two of the passengers. They said the aircraft descended from about a thousand to 1500 feet, both using that exact same term. So again, the, the data is very much in conflict. The evidence is in conflict and I think we can side with the video, which uh, cannot be converted just because someone says something different. But the pilot tried to say it was at 300 feet that this happened, and he actually wrote to the NTSB saying it was about 500 feet that it happened. But we know that uh, the plane was already at 500 feet when he turned away from the runway, and he climbed for another 28 seconds. So 
it's just not reasonable. Though one can imagine why one might want to say it was at 300 feet where this catastrophic engine failure happened, because then it would give an excuse to not be able to get back to the runway and make a safe landing. But uh, that just was uh, filled with misrepresentation. If we can look at the uh, slide four, we see the last frame of the videographer's takeoff video. Now the video was in two different parts, a takeoff portion, then it supposedly stops, and then it starts up with what they call, or what I've called at least, uh, the ditching section. That is, uh, the videographer started up the video after this claimed catastrophic engine failure, which coincidentally, of course, misses being recorded on the video under that so-called official narrative, at least. And then it descends down into the water. And we can see on the right portion that the uh, satellite map shows various lines, but it does show the lines of the uh, sun's rays. Uh, and what we see on the left side is indeed the videographer portion of his face. And we see the, those sun's rays uh, going pretty much uh, athwart or 90 degrees from the direction of travel of the aircraft at that time, which indeed would have been as the aircraft is turning uh, toward Honolulu, making rounding the turn, as the pilot said. And Honolulu is directly west of uh, the airport. But if that happened that way, um, the idea would have to be that with no power, the pilot would have uh, gone from that red X to where we know the aircraft ditched, and that's capital D. But in doing that kind of a maneuver, uh, he would say from 300 feet, but we would have quite a bit of evidence that shows it's from 1,000 or more feet. Anyway, uh, taking that heading, which is roughly a downwind for uh, runway five, has about 15 knots of tailwind for the pilot in as much as the wind was coming out of the east at 18 knots. So making that track between the red X and the capital D puts an extra 15 knots of tailwind, and if the pilot had conversely gone into the wind with his uh, touchdown onto the water, he would have been at 30 knots uh, less head, uh, 30 knots less ground speed, uh, and made a, that a safer touchdown in that fashion. Right. But the claim, and, and the claim as it the, was. The uh, when you, when you're when you're flying and and what you're saying is if you were flying into the wind, that it would have it would have gave the aircraft greater resistance. Yes, it would have gone the airplane say with the true airspeed of 80 knots, it would have uh, gone 35 knots over the ground because it would have had that kind of a headwind, kind of a river of air coming at the pilot. But if one has 15 knots of tailwind and you're flying 80 knots, you're now flying 95 knots over the ground. And if you're touching down on the water at 95 knots versus 35 knots, did I say that right? Uh, versus 65 knots, frankly. So there's like a 30 knot difference. And no pilot, especially one who is very well trained, would ever make that choice. And we know this pilot was exquisitely trained uh, having 16,000 hours or more of uh, flight experience. So he would not have made that choice. And in fact, we know he didn't make that choice, even though 
given the official narrative, we're left to believe he must have taken that track between the red X and the capital D. We, in fact, know what the track was of that airplane, and it was that orange arc one sees to the left. And uh, the aircraft was able to be put directly into the wind just as it touched down, which is, of course, a reasonable and good piloting technique. But the problem is it doesn't match the narrative. Yeah. Let's let's move on to and number Hugo, five. Just yes, to, just to let you know, we have a break coming up in about forty five seconds. Okay. Um, so maybe we, we should stop here before we we go to the break. Can you tell folks where they can uh, order your book? Well, the website is just now being worked on for that, and it'll be called thefuddyhoax.com. If they'd care to send an email to info at thefuddyhoax.com. We'll make sure that they are notified as soon as the book is available and the website is available for their use. So if they send email, preferably with their name and address, email address will, of course, be implicit, their return email address, but uh, we'll make sure that they have the first uh, opportunity to order the book. Fantastic. Uh, folks, we are up against the break. We are talking with Hugo Fuegan, uh, the book, is the Fuddy Hoax. And again, if you want the book info at thefuddyhoax.com, send your contact info and when the website's up, they will get the book out to you. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to hagmanreport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right. You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. The title of tonight's show, Cold Case Update. Um, Hugo Fuegan is our guest. We are talking about The Fuddy Hoax. Uh, the Fuddy Hoax is the book that Hugo put together. Very, very uh, details, just in, in tremendous detail, all of the inconsistencies, the cover-up uh, from the official narrative to what uh, what the evidence actually shows and it's a, a staggering difference between the two, as usual, with, with how these things work. And the, the book, The Fuddy Hoax, is an extensive investigation into the Loretta Fuddy Hoax. Thanks, Joe. And I gotta tell you, Hugo does a great job, doesn't he? I, folks, you gotta listen to this man. You gotta, um, he goes into details like you can't believe. I wanna thank Hugo in my absence. For his uh, all of his hard work, and I want to thank every each and every one of you. So thank you so very much for uh, everything you've done, all your prayers, your support. As my wife had taken ill last week and uh, brought her home to, to our home today, uh, still in a lot of pain. You know, it, it's you know how restaurants have uh, uh, what do you what do you call a table turnover? I think hospitals have bed turnover. Anyway, nonetheless, she, she's uh, still in a lot of pain. But but thank you. But but we came home today. To a wonderful, wonderful box of pro flowers, and you talk about putting a smile on her face, folks. Have you forgotten an anniversary, or perhaps you know someone who's ill as well, uh, or someone who just needs to have a smile put on their face? We've got something for you. Proflowers.com. We're going to make all. We're going to make your life so easy for you. If you're looking for shopping for that hard to find person, or if if your wife needs that special pickup or that special someone needs a smile. Proflowers.com, that's the place to go. Right now, right now, Proflowers has a special offer just for Hagman and Hagman listeners. Get $10 off your purchase of $29 or more. That's right, $10 off, $29 or more. You can't beat it. This deal works on best-selling gifts like their 100 Blooms bouquet, which is, by the way, what my wife walked into. And, wow, the aroma. Oh, such a great, such a great aroma. A dozen red roses. Oh, are they beautiful as well? Or even their totally unique plant gifts. How about a bonsai tree? Have you have you thought about that? Hmm. To snag this great deal, just go to proflowers.com, enter the code Hagman at checkout. Again, you know, my wife came in and and she saw the box. She knew what it was. Big smile, and the aroma right where she's uh uh 
resting right now. It's just, it's just so fabulous. Pro Flowers broke, their bouquets are guaranteed to be fresh for seven days or your money back. They've got a seven step quality check, which means that the flowers are always awesome. Their website is super easy to use. You can schedule your delivery ahead of time and uh, you can select any date you want and, uh, just get back to your day. It's that easy. Guys, it's that easy. Pro Flowers is a no-brainer gift for birthday, anniversary, every occasion, even for no occasion at all. Those are the best kind, right? Am I right? Of course. Anytime when you want her to feel special. They, Pro Flowers, they take care of all the details. Now, do yourself a favor and help out our show by supporting Pro Flowers. I know you have, well, you, you, I know you got a birthday coming up or, or an anniversary or something special. Well, I know you do. So right now, get $10 off your purchases of $29 or more pro flowers. But this deal definitely will not last long. So here's what you do. Go to proflowers.com, enter our code Hagman at checkout to get this special deal. That's proflowers.com, enter our code Hagman at checkout. Joe, i turn it back to you. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who... Uh, had some support, had some support. Tomorrow I'm going to be back in the saddle, by the way. Fantastic. And again, thank you guys to all your, your emails of support, all your prayers. We can't tell you how much that means and, and we thank each and every one of you for doing that. Um, back to our guest. We got, um, Hugo Fugan. He's the author of The Fuddy Hoax and the website is, is soon to be coming. Um, and, and again, if you want to, to order the book info, at thefuddyhoax.com. Send your contact information, and when they get the site up and running, uh, you will be able to order your book, and they will reach out to you and, and let you know when that is. All right, Hugo, right before the break, we were uh, I believe you wanted to get to slide five, and yep. I'll let you get yep. right back into it. Yes, let me make sure I understand that uh, we, too, will be adding our prayers to Doug's wife's recovery. Thank but you. looking at slide five, we see a depiction of what should have been possible with the actual uh, flight. We have it confirmed by the takeoff video that uh, at that red X, the aircraft was indeed about a thousand or higher, thousand feet. And with that kind of altitude and 15 knots of tailwind, there's no way in the world that that airplane should not have been able to make a safe landing back onto runway five. If we look onto slide six, we see another alternative, one that kind of incorporates the pilot's misrepresentation of being at only 300 feet when he was rounding the turn for Honolulu. So if he was a lot closer to the ground, this too would have been another option, which is what the pilots would call a teardrop entry into a downwind landing. That is, uh, if he was very close to the ground, he could have turned directly for the runway and could have landed even with a tailwind onto that runway which would have been far preferable than landing in the water. Uh, the people who were waiting ultimately two and a half hours to be seen at a hospital could have been seen certainly within a half hour if the pilot had simply availed himself of the runway. Even if he had overshot the end of it, it would have been a far safer activity than putting the airplane, airplane in the water. But we know that his putting the airplane on the water, even a very... Uh, perfect, perfectly good airplane onto the water uh, was the plan. So all these other alternatives really don't amount to much when we consider that it just wasn't the plan, even though it was quite possible. 
If you look at slide seven, we see another alternative that the pilot should have availed himself of, which is to land upwind. That is, he could have turned his craft directly without power upwind, and that would have probably meant a turn to the right, but could have been just as easily a turn to the left, and he could have put the aircraft onto the water in a headwind, which would have uh, uh, actually allowed for a 30-knot difference in the touchdown speed. But if we look at slide eight, we'll see two different things, two different slides. That is the last frame of the first portion of the video and the first frame of the second portion of the video. And we see something quite anomalous, that is the sun's rays would have been going off uh, 90 degrees to the uh, airplane's heading in the first uh, image there. But literally by its own evidence, we see the sun's rays appearing just on the very right edge of that window frame, which tells us where the sun was. That is, the pilot was flying almost directly into the sun. So he changed the direction of, or the relative position, orientation, if you will, of the aircraft 90 degrees. And doing that from that position doesn't make any sense at all. In fact, because, in part, he's turning away from the runway in doing that. That is, instead of going toward the runway, the pilot is shown to have flown the aircraft away from the runway and telling us implicitly that it was the plan to land on the water rather than put the airplane safely back onto the airport grounds, which he could have done in several ways, which were just mentioned. So anyway, there's that consideration and very strong evidence. That's depicted in slide nine, if you'll go there. Okay. We see uh, the red X again, that first portion, the turn to Honolulu. And we know by other evidence uh, very closely that the starting altitude of the second portion of the video was 255 feet, plus or minus five feet maybe. But we know where that was, and we know that it was into the sun's rays, which means it was headed toward the southwest there. Uh, so we know that at the start of the second video, the R is the location of that uh, start. But why the pilot would have taken that diversion from the red X to lose 750 feet of altitude and fly away from the airport without availing himself of its safety is just amazing beyond uh, anything that else could be said. We're left to believe he went directly between the X and D, but the video evidence makes clear it was between the R and D, which also, as I mentioned, tells us the pilot really did uh, land the aircraft as slowly as possible in terms of ground speed because he was headed directly into the wind. But to do that, he had to make a very strong diversion from the air, airport. Now that diversion was, I think, three quarters of a mile away, and intentionally lost that three or 750, even to 1,250 feet in altitude. So there's just no other way other than that the pilot had intended to land where he did in the water. We can continue with the next slide if we look at that, 
we can compare some facts or some uh, claims, if you will. The NTSB factual report says that the plane impacted the water in a wings level, slightly nose high attitude. Well, this is the very last frame before everything goes haywire and the plane hits the water. We can see that the plane is in more or less a 20 degree left bank. There is no way that this could have escaped a good NTSB investigator. The NTSB investigation made a critical mistake in misrepresentation. Apparently it was taken directly from what the pilot said, but they had evidence in hand that showed that the pilot was making a gross misrepresentation. And somehow our NTSB is unable to figure this out. Or unwilling, which is, seems to be the, yes, the case. Yes, we'll get to that unwilling part. Yes, that seems uh, pretty strong evidence. Furthermore, uh, we can see by the mullions there and the uh, inferred or implied uh, longitudinal axis of the aircraft that it, in fact, was below the horizon. So we had a nose-low attitude and a left bank. And uh, we see, actually, that uh, the left main gear would have contacted the water first, which we'll also see that the uh, seat that was closest to that attach point of the left main gear was actually thrown from the attachment, and it threw the passenger, who was uh, an elderly lady from Illinois, it threw that passenger onto the floor and actually apparently was the cause of uh, several, I think it was five broken ribs and a split sternum. So the pilot doing this uh, directly contributed to that passenger's severe injuries in that fashion. Uh, So this evidence uh, shows what really happened and it too is in divergence with what the uh, NTSB puts in their report. Now, if we go to slide 11, we can see another misrepresentation by the NTS report, which says the airplane landed within the open ocean water. And yet we see and can measure this in a number of different ways with the wingspans of that very aircraft being 52 feet. We can go make them go end to end and reach all the way to shore and see that the distance there is 702 feet 13 and a half wingspans of a Cessna Grand Caravan, which makes for 234 yards. And that's uh, actually a confirming number as other sight lines that we can draw on maps other ways. But the representation that that would be the open ocean water is a critical misrepresentation, especially as we look at the lower right map. There you see the bathymetry map that the NTSB included with their report. And the tip of the black arrow shows where the Cessna Grand Caravan uh, put down in the water. And very near to that, within just 10, 15, 20 yards, we see an area of a circle with a one above it. That map legend tells us that that area was only one meter deep. It had the ocean floor was only one meter below the surface at that point. And, and, and Hugo, if I can, just uh, real quick with the open ocean, uh, for people who are looking for, you know, a specific meaning, 
and uh, they say there's a few different definitions, but all of them basically say the same thing. When you get technical about it, it says the ocean, open ocean is greater than 12 nautical miles from shore, and uh, that that's one definition. And uh, another definition says that when it is in uh, waters outside of uh uh, outside of the coast or uh, outside of territorial regions. So I don't know yeah. what the NTSB definition of open ocean is, but regardless of what anybody's definition is, that is nothing near the open ocean. That's quite correct. And there were very shallow waters throughout this area. If you look at that uh, <clears throat> tip of the black arrow, you see a blue area all along the coast. That entire blue area was... Uh, enclosing an area that was less than 10 meters deep. And if you look at numbers within that blue area, you see numbers like four and a quarter, five and a quarter, two, four, one. Uh, there were very shallow areas. And as I say, the evidence of the left main gear touching down may indeed have contacted something on the ocean floor to have torn that seat away. And one of the passengers reported that the airplane came to an abrupt stop. If you're on the open ocean, this to me is like uh, claiming uh, the Universal Studios uh, splash into the water, billowing uh, water ahead of you and so forth, and it comes to a, a gentle gliding stop. But, in fact, one of the passengers said it came to an abrupt stop. Now, with the very shallow uh, waters at this point, uh, one has to wonder whether there was not indeed some contact. There's a lot of evidence that suggests that. In fact, if you look at the actual aircraft in that upper right picture, that is the leftmost uh, depiction of an aircraft, that shows that the right wing was down, and the left wing was up. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't happen in the open ocean. The open ocean would let the airplane settle symmetrically. Now, there might be an exception to that in terms of a so-called pontoon effect. If you had air trapped underneath the airplane, it could tip one way or the other. But in fact, we know that even though there was a baggage pod on this airplane, it was completely obliterated in the crash and it was completely flooded with uh, with water. So it could not have accounted for a tipping type behavior. And the, there was immediately water rushing in both from the uh, windshield and from the right rear door, which covered people's feet and ankles and, and uh, other parts very quickly. So uh, it could not have been the case that uh, it would be tipping like that in an open ocean situation. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest, in fact, maybe that it was resting on the open floor, ocean floor as it sat there. Uh, there's even more evidence than I've um, disclosed just yet, but we'll see that later, especially if you buy the book. Uh, if you look at the lower left uh, image there in that frame, you see a Hawaii News Now news report excerpt that uh, represents that the, uh, the CEO of that commuter airline uh, discussing that the plane crashed about a mile offshore. 
Now, the CEO should certainly know because he debriefed the pilot uh, within hours after the plane crash. So he sh should have full well known exactly what where that plane was. Uh, but the representation in even that picture appears to be of a, some kind of plane under maybe shallow water there out in the middle of the ocean. But if we go to the next frame, uh, we'll see that enlarged a little bit and we see by golly, it kind of looks like a Cessna Grand Caravan. But if we go one frame further to uh, 13, we are able to go to the original, that is the uh, frame that was taken as a video image, and we see that it's not a Cessna Grand Caravan slightly underwater, but in fact, it's a depiction of the US Coast Guard Dolphin helicopter and it's rotor downwash and uh, rolling smoke from one of the smoke floats that the U.S. Uh, Navy put down uh, toward the end of this scenario. So what we have here is one picture uh, of actually uh, a U.S. Coast Guard helicopter um, being portrayed as if it were the Cessna Grand Caravan out in the open ocean which is, of course, uh, more than misleading. Uh, it's a falsehood that's being pushed in that way. Not the last falsehood either. If we go to slide 14, we see two pictures, both of which originate with the NTSB, and we see the aircraft underwater. That is, it was part of the ditching video taken by the videographer. And we see that the lowest blade of that propeller has uh, taken the brunt probably of the water's force as it came down onto the water. Uh, unlike the blade at the upper right, which is seemingly not bent. But that lower one is bent such that it seems to contact the nose gear strut, which is a pretty strong bend of a couple, of, two and a half, three feet, something like that. Um, but the airplane, when it was dredged up out of the water, is depicted there in a photograph uh, at the right. And one has to ask the question, which of the propeller blades there that was bent backwards underwater was the propeller blade that we're looking at above water on the barge that salvage dredged up these this airplane and its engine? So you see none of those propeller blades are bent in that fashion. And I suggest uh, everyone be able to understand and believe that propeller blades, once they're bent like that, do not unbend themselves by natural forces to look like they're all in the same prop, prop disc that we see at right. So there's a huge problem with that. And frankly, the, the evidence is very strong that we have two different propeller blades and if we have two different propeller blades, because of the difficulty of changing out a propeller blade or a propeller on the ocean floor, one has to think in terms of two engines. Now, why would there be two engines? And is there just this piece of evidence, or is there other supporting evidence of that? And in so your if, book, we move, yes. if I can point out in your book, um, this is, is one area that's very uh, detailed and documented, 
Uh, I'm not sure how many I haven't counted, but you do uh, dedicate a lot of room to these uh, the the NTSB's um, you know reports and the photographs that they use versus what uh, and you and you show the different ways upside down, right side up, how this would fit with their photographs, and it is very detailed. and And then you go to point out the the anomalies and irregularities and uh, you know what the conclusion of all this would have to be, and um, and you do a very good job of, of detailing it and, and putting the photographs together. And there's a lot more in the book, folks, than than what you're seeing here. So for those who are yep. interested, keep that in mind. We're whizzing right past everything, and if we look at evidence of the underwater versus the on the barge propeller blade tip paint scheme, that's a mouthful. But uh, on top, we see the engine sitting on the barge after it's been dredged up. And we look at that propeller blade tip paint scheme. And we make a comparison of that blade with all of the underwater frames, or several of the best ones. Eight underwater frames were grabbed and rotated and put beside one another and put in between that uh, barge propeller blade tip paint scheme. And we see, frankly, they don't match, which is, in fact, supporting evidence that we're looking at two different propellers. And if we're looking at two different propellers, we're looking at two different engines. Now, the NTSB uh, suggested, said, that the airplane was found, or the engine was found on the ocean floor already separated from its airframe. And it was separated in a fashion that they said was consistent with rolling around on a hard, uneven surface on the ocean floor. Now, that's what we're going to see. Does that comport with the evidence? Again and again, I think we're going to see that that does not. In fact, it shows a misrepresentation on the part of the NTSB. So if you look at uh, slide 23, uh, there are actually three images there, and the they all originate with an NTSB photo. The lower left is that photo, and you can see the right photo is a, an inset taken from it, and the upper left photo is uh, an inset to one of the pictures we just saw of the three-bladed propeller on the barge deck. But uh, at right, we see that there's a notch showing through the propeller blade. Uh, That is, there is a notch there. And through that notch, one can see that heavy ship's pipe showing through. Now, if one looks at the other side of that propeller blade, which we happen to have on the upper left, there's no notch there. So we cannot be looking at two sides of the very same propeller blade which tells us there's a problem with these pictures. They are not consistent. And, Mr. Fugan, we're up against our our break. Okay. Uh, folks, we're talking with Hugo Fugan, and uh, this is a, a fantastic interview going over the cold case of Loretta Fuddy, what really happened. And the, the book uh, is The Fuddy Hoax, and we will have more information on the other side um, uh, with Mr. Fugan, the upcoming website he's putting together, and how... Uh, folks, you'll be able to get the book right after these messages. Don't go anywhere.
Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Erickson. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Yeah, folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Chang Post in the Woods. We are an American family owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to ancient major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues. And so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.changewithwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are talking with Hugo Fugan. He is the author of The Fuddy Hoax, an uh, in-depth detail into the investigation of Loretta Fuddy and the death and or what else might have happened. And we're going to get back with him in just a moment. You know, Joe, Hugo has done such a great job in this book, um, him and, and other researchers. I've got to say that I've, I went through the book with a fine-tooth comb and read everything, all the citations. What a fantastic work of of investigation. And there is I had a long way to be convinced, honestly, that that there was 
that much amiss. And I could tell you without reservation, there was, there is. And I am um, just absolutely pleased that, that Hugo is on. Uh, and I'm having the uh, opportunity to listen to, to you and Hugo talk about this. And uh, before you get back to Hugo, let me ask the people out there, in business, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, posting your job in one place is not enough to find quality candidates. Folks, if you want to find that perfect hire, you need to post your job on all of the top jobs, uh, job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city, any industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's very easy-to-use interface. We've used this interface. It is just so amazing. It makes it makes hiring so much easier. No more juggling emails. No more calls to your office. It, it, it's quick, you can quickly screen quality candidates. You can rate them. You can hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time to try for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. All right, getting right back into the show, uh, we're speaking with aviation expert and author uh, Hugo Fugan. And and just so you, you folks have an understanding of, of who, who Hugo is, um, he's not just a, a citizen journalist, uh, Hugo has logged over 2,500 hours of flight experience and over 450 hours as a cert, uh, uh, certified, or I'm sorry, a certificated instrument and flight instructor. Um, Mr. Fugan holds a single-engine land and multi-engine land commercial certificate, Class Two medical, as well as uh, a certificate, a cer- certificate for his ex- experimental is it uh, Landcare 320, which he's been flying for more than 27 years. Also has been a successful CEO uh, and president of over three different aviation simulation regulated companies and has a much more extensive professional history than that. Um, Back to you, Mr. Fugan. Okay. Uh, We can go to slide 24. All right. Let me be clear, by the way. I I have a co-author who is an incredible researcher, and none of this book could have been put together without uh, her help. And her name is Nellie Rispeth. And uh, we together have uh, done the research behind this book and uh, never could have been done without her. Uh, but moving ahead, uh, slide 24, if we could ask the tech to bring that up. Yeah. Uh, we have essentially the same image as we had a moment ago, but this time we're looking at so-called edge jaggies of uh, a photograph. Uh, That is a video, a digital photograph always has what they're called jaggies. That is where there are edges, there are digital changes from one color to another. And those can be, when zoomed in greatly, you can see those discrete changes. Uh, And they are very smooth when you see it at a normal resolution, but when you go in a little bit, you begin to see these so-called jaggies. And if we look at that frame at the right, we can look at the tips of the yellow arrows and see kind of what the definition is of those jaggies. But if we look at two uh, red arrows, we see that between the two white 
painted stripes on that propeller blade, the jaggies are rather coarse. And the that kind of an artifact would occur when you take an image from one photograph, that's say of a lower resolution, and you put it in an image of a higher resolution. So what we're looking at is a contrast between different resolutions as evidenced by the jaggies. And these jaggies give away that that propeller blade image, particularly the paint scheme on the tip, is different than the rest of the picture. And um, there's a lot more evidence about that because we're trying to discover how to account for differences we've seen. If we move to slide 25, we see that other barge blade uh, image that we used as a comparison for the underwater blades. Um, at top to compare against the NTSB blade image and we see a big difference. That yeah. black space between the two painted uh, portions is much wider at top than at bottom. So how can that be? Because the, the truism that on all modern propellers all of those blades have the exact same paint scheme. It's very important that they do. And we see at left on that frame, at that slide uh, 25, there's a picture of this very aircraft on the ramp. And we can see that paint scheme. And we can see that it matches the upper picture, and it does not match the lower picture. So we're, it, there's strong evidence that the upper one is the correct one. But if we move to the next frame, the next slide, we find there are two other images that I was able to get from other media sources of that very same propeller tip paint scheme that is represented in the NTSB photograph. And we see that they match the barge uh, blade, blade tip paint scheme and the one that we saw on the ramp just a moment ago. So we see which one is correct. And we see that the difference uh, was adopted by the NTSB but it's in fact a Photoshop fraud. So we don't just have misunderstandings by the NTSB, we don't have overlooked evidence by the NTSB, we don't have misrepresentation of the evidence by the NTSB, we have falsified evidence by the NTSB, which of course uh, deserves to be rewarded with an appropriate reward probably. I think uh, Donald Trump has called it uh, draining the swamp. Um, it, we might need to divert the Potomac to flush all of that to get yeah. uh, get to the proper level, uh, not just drain it. But uh, that is, you'd be left with a lot of sludge if you just did that. But the long and the short is our NTSB, which are looked at as the cream of the crop, tippy top of the best, no hint of incompetence anywhere. That's the reputation. But we have all of these problems, not just overlooked evidence, not misrepresentation, but literally falsification. And I think these slides prove it. That is, that blade tip paint scheme was changed. And the reason it was changed was because I had shared, well, I, I better not say exactly why, but 
will juxtapose these two things. I had shared with the investigator in charge that I suspected that there were two engines involved in this scenario and that one indicator of that being true was this underwater, above water blade tip paint scheme comparison, which showed that there were two different uh, blade tip paint schemes. And I think we can go to uh, slide 22. If we take the NTSB blade tip paint scheme and use it to compare the underwater paint scheme, coincidentally, they seem to match. So that if I infer, which is a little bit of speculation, which I shouldn't do probably, but my inference is nonetheless that it was evidence changed to match the underwater blade tip comparison, which might negate the evidence that I had brought to the NTSB uh, that there were two, in fact two engines. So that's my conjecture about that, but I think it's reasonably well founded. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, let's move on to slide 28. One of the representations by the NTSB, uh, as if to account for, um, in some sense, the FUDDY death that's claimed, um, FUDDY is represented as uh, having an infant life jacket. Mm -hmm. and an infant life jacket that had only one of its uh, chambers uh, filled, that is one of the CO2 cartridges, and there were two, one of those was still full, consistent with a partially inflated life vest. So their claim is that she had an infant life vest and that it was partially inflated. But if we look at the video evidence that the videographer has coincidentally uh, fortunately provided, in the upper left corner, we see fully inflated life jacket on Ms. Fuddy. And furthermore, its silhouette and its representation from several angles is that it does not match an infinite life jacket. That is, uh, there was another person who happened to put on an infant life jacket. He was a former uh, Green Beret. And the two pictures at the upper right, the smaller pictures there, show that infant life jacket, which appears rather round. There's actually three frames in which it appears. And we can see lines drawn by comparison saying that it seems not to match or it does match. But anyway, it's smaller, it's roundish. And if you look from underwater in the rightmost middle, we see it's kind of thinnish from the bottom. And that's what a, uh, I believe that's a single chamber infant life jacket filling. That's what that looks like. But uh, that is very different from what we see on Ms. Fuddy. Ms. Fuddy, in the lower picture there, lower left, uh, her life jacket, fully inflated, looks very much like two other life jackets that are shown there, both above and to the right. So the very strong evidence that uh, Ms. Fuddy had a fully inflated adult life jacket, it's hard to um, say anything else. That is, it cannot be. That is, once both the upper and the lower chambers are filled, uh, those that CO2 cartridge that was claimed to be still full uh, actually 
tells us something, I think, about someone actually having changed out one of the CO2 cartridges to be full. And that is a huge problem. Um, and it says as well, uh, the representation by the NTSB is that when Ms. Fuddy was taken aboard the U.S. Coast Guard helicopter, that an infant life jacket was cut from her. So we have these two facts, an infant life jacket being cut from Ms. Fuddy and that there was uh, a CO2 cartridge that was still full. This cannot be, either one of those cannot be. We have evidence to the contrary. Did someone steal her life jacket while she had a fully inflated adult life jacket, take it from her and swap it with a partially inflated infant life jacket? That, hey, we don't see that on the video. We don't see it at all. We don't see that happening. So who would have done that? And it might suggest someone is trying to do her harm. But in fact, I think this uh, this partially inflated infant life jacket is mentioned in the official narrative as if it, as if it accounts for a stress level on Ms. Fuddy that might have caused her to hyperventilate, which coincidentally is the ultimate cause of death that's mentioned by the medical examiner. So this ultimate cause of death is fraught with a lot of evidentiary uh, contradiction. And it's very hard to see how this um, could have happened naturally. That is, it looks like human hands again at work changing the uh, official narrative from what it really was and for which there's a lot of evidence. And the NTSB blithely reports these things as if there's no counter evidence. So that's a big issue that the NTSB on whom we rely uh, can't seem to figure this out. When the NTSB goes to court and says, this is what we found, I don't know if there's a single court case ever that has been able to overturn what the NTSB has found in a thorough investigation. So what we're looking at is a corruptible process that is totally at odds with the NTSB's reputation. And unless this is fixed, we have people that are clearly committing criminal acts within the NTSB or wherever those were changed. I, by the way, made a FOIA request for the chain of custody documents on these so-called accident photos. And it's been over nine months where this is supposed to be, a FOIA request like that is supposed to be answered within 10 business days. It was never answered. Hmm. I called, called to uh, uh, follow after it several times, and I was told that as soon as the investigator in charge releases it, they could, but that wasn't happening. And it's now over nine months. So, in fact, I, I believe this would probably show uh, major embarrassment, if not worse, uh, among the people at the NTSB because uh, these things are a problem. Yeah, and they, and they, they don't want that. Um, no. You know, there's been a lot of questionable things that uh, the NTSB have been involved in. and But this, to me, uh, from what I've seen you put together from your book, The Fuddy Hoax, is one of the most, if not the most, in-depth investigation 
into one of these events where that where you actually point out what's reported versus how it is not uh, able to be accurate, and then posting the truth. You have so much evidence in this book, and I don't want to knock you off your stride, Hugo, but I just want to let you know we have um, about nine minutes before the end of our interview, and oh. my father's in studio. Uh, obviously, he wasn't here for the interview, but he wants us to bring you back soon so we can do a part two to this um, part two to this update, okay. and he wants to be present, so just as an FYI. Well, I look forward to that. Um, so I'll try to keep that in mind and as much as I'm able to uh, craft things into a, some kind of a conclusion in that time. I'll try to do so, but I'm doubtless going to fail. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let me try to just move quickly and we'll gloss over a few things. Let me move to slide 29. And uh, we see possible further uh, falsification of evidence. And I'm not prepared to say who made that the falsification, but what we see in the recorded video is a silent period, six seconds of silence at the beginning of the ditching video. And at the end of that six seconds of silence, there's a, as if on a flip of a switch, the engine magically starts rotating, not in a winding up fashion, but as if on a switch at over 15,000 RPM. Now, I think that's a physical impossibility. Physics don't allow anything of such mass to begin turning in a hundredth of a second or 10 milliseconds or whatever. So that cannot have happened. And coincidentally, if we look at the audio track at that point, we see there's a telltale glitch pointed to by those two red arrows, which suggests very strongly that two sections of audio were electronically spliced together. Uh, so that's a telltale sign that should uh, be a problem uh, because that engine must have been running the entire time. Now, elsewhere, we'll see that the pilot says he made two engine restarts, but there's no indication of that whatsoever, and it completely contradicts the idea that the engine was running throughout, for which there is evidence. And I think, in fact, the video was also run throughout, probably, and is just spliced into two separate pieces uh, with the middle part gone missing. But anyway, uh, these telltale signs tell us there's lots of problems between the official narrative and what the actual evidence shows. And one of those, and let me try out uh, this audio thing. If we can get the, your tech there to play audio A17, we're going to hear the engine running smoothly and, in fact, rising in its RPM. Now, we're told that this had a catastrophic failure and stopped. And the NT or the yeah the NTSB and the Pratt and Whitney Canada, the engine manufacturer, tore this engine down, and they saw that there was an intense internal fire in that engine that must have occurred after the catastrophic engine failure on the way down to the water. But this is what we hear if we can play that segment. All right. No, the audio is not coming through. Um, for some reason, the hold on, let's try it again.
Did you hear that, Hugo? No, I was unable to hear it, but I know what it sounds like. Okay. Did you? Did were you able to hear that rising RPM? Yeah, yeah, that kind of high pitch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we can play A zero five as an audio clip for just a moment, okay. we'll hear the narrator say uh, uh, something about the crash. So right after the crash, we're going to hear that engine RPM change, which sounds like. It's the uh, power lever being retreated. So let's hear that. Okay. Listen closely. It's a remarkable, remarkable video. Take a look. All we heard on that one, Hugo, was uh, it, it sounded like a newscast saying it was a remarkable, remarkable video. Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remar but in the background, hopefully you heard the... Very loud engine running. Did you hear that? We'll play it one more Let's time. Hear here we yeah. go. Very loud. It's a remarkable, remarkable video. Take a look. Yeah, yeah. You could you could hear that that kind of humming noise. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, there's out. nothing else it could be. Now, if we could play A21, that's the one that says the plane is about to crash, which has that reduction of RPM. Plane is about to crash. Oh yeah. Yeah, now what else in the airplane could possibly make that sound? There is nothing else. Okay, I gotta take your word for that, cause, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we should listen for a moment to A14. We're going to hear the engine as it contacts the water. Now, what would happen if a running engine did that? And what would happen if there's no engine running because it had stopped? A14 tells us. Okay, that was a high-pitched sound and then a... Uh... Somehow turned into zero RPM. Want to try it again just in case? Sure. Okay, it sounded like a switch was slipped or something. Uh... Yeah, well, it was running at uh, 15,000 RPM plus and then all of a sudden when it ingests a huge amount of water, it's not going to run at all. And that time it takes to do that is just a couple hundred milliseconds. Interesting. And folks, yeah, this yeah. is fascinating stuff. Um, again, we're, we're reviewing the cool case of uh, into the death or disappearance of Loretta Fuddy, uh, who is you know, the person uh, hired under Abercrombie to deal with the, the release of the Obama birth certificate. And we, we have a, uh, two minutes left, Hugo, just as an FYI. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, I probably shouldn't try to wind things up, but let me just show you a few anomalous things. In number 32, slide 32, we're going to see that a couple, the elderly couple has non-official life jackets on that were not known to be with the aircraft. The wife is wearing this... Uh, life jacket that appears to have a 20-inch phallus on it and allows her to be seated in the water. And the husband has a belt-type life jacket, which is not shown in the NTSB collection of life jackets and, in fact, is not part of the supplies of uh, a standard uh, commuter airline of this type. So they would so have to bring these or uh, pick them up somewhere else or, or then given them? Yeah. Okay. They were given them, and in fact, that the one uh, 
given the wife is, uh, in fact, a, an electronic device. It shows that we're, what we're dealing with is an underwater network of communications where she's sporting an antenna that's kept above the water. If we see the upper right image, she's keeping that 20-inch phallus right above the water so it can communicate with an aircraft that we know is overhead. So anyway, there's amazing stuff there. If you look in slide 33, 33 we see the top four images are of a helmet. The person at the right front seat in the airplane is wearing a helmet, uh, which is acknowledged by one of the other passengers in testimony to the police, by the way. Wow. In the, in the lower left, we see there's a black box on Loretta Fuddy's uh, left hip, uh, which just could not have occurred naturally in any sense. And it sounds like we're going... Anyway, the lower right image is one of another device that another passenger has that looks like it's an inflation-deflation device. Yeah, and there's so many of these photos uh, that, that Hugo has put together. Hugo, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We will talk this week, and we will get you scheduled to come back on um, as soon as possible to, to go over the rest of the material you have because you have such an extensive collection uh, of material that you put together in the book, The Fuddy Hoax. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a very fascinating show, and we look forward to having you back on. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Folks, we'll be right back with Sheila Zielinski after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. third and final hour on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, we, we were just on uh, with Hugo Fugan talking about the uh, the Fuddy Hoax, which is the book that he's authored, uh, reviewing the cold case of the of Loretta Fuddy and what happened there. Now we're going to jump back into to current events. we got a, a, a friend of the show and a, a guest who, who's been on many times, Sheila Zielinski, and her website is weekendvigilante.com. She's an author and a a radio show host and much more and we're going to go over a few things she's she wrote the book green gospel and uh she did this a few years ago and is very relevant today what we see with the uh, the surge in in the news and in, in talking about climate change due to the paris accord and we're going to get into uh, what she thinks about the decision by donald trump to withdraw the u.s from the climate accord on the basis that the u.s was getting the short end of the stick and uh, I'm sure there's many other reasons, one of them being, you know, the science behind uh, climate change, or at least what the science that we've been given behind climate change has been proven to be government-manipulated data and scientific-manipulated data. And we're also going to get into uh, more about the, the terror attacks and, and much more. Sheila, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back on, and hi to all your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's great to have you. Well, where do you want to start tonight? We have the the London Bridge attack that has just happened in the last 48 hours, and uh, the uh, your book, the Green Gospel. Green Gospel. We were talking about a little bit last week when mentioning the Paris Climate Accord, where the media, you know, lambasted Trump for for pulling out, basically saying the world was going to end and it's all his fault. And then there's a lot of other stuff we can get into. So I'll let you start, Sheila. Sure. Well, I mean, it is official. To me, it was the happy dance this week because we prayed and prayed and our prayers were answered. Trump dumps Paris just this last Friday, of course, and Trump announced that he was withdrawing from the UN Paris climate deal. And when he said we're pulling out, that was like news to my, you know, ears because he stomped on the climate cult. And as you just alluded to my book, Green Gospel, that's what I called it. Forget Brexit. I'm calling this the climate exit. This is Clexit on steroids. This whole United Nations Climate Accord, Joe, this treaty, I don't know if people understand, this was the biggest scam and the greatest fraud of our era. And I'll also allude to this in my book, it's become a religion, this green agenda. And the head of the United Nations' own chair of their phony climate panel 
the IPCC. He wasn't even a scientific advisor. He was actually a railway engineer. He said it on record. This isn't my job. This is my dharma. This is my religion, and this is a theological issue. People take climate change that serious when you got, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio running around on his private jets deciding what his response to Trump's pulling out of the Paris Agreement is. You know, we're proud of a president who is stating on record that the United Nations was trying to erode United States sovereignty. He's saying, hey, we don't want to give up our sovereignty so that the United Nations bureaucrats can redistribute our wealth and do nothing for the climate. And the UN has admitted on record, Doug and Joe, that they'll redistribute wealth by climate policy. We know it's all politics. It's not about saving the planet. And Trump is calling them on it. He's showing true leadership standing up to the world even amidst a barrage of social media frenzy and he's saying you know what we're not going to be bullied into your phony green fund and your lust for a global governance structure aka a one world climate authority that's what they want we're not buying into this green gospel your religion of doom predictions failed predictions failed climate models aka as you know joe the hockey stick climate gate I could go on and on, but this eco-friendly carbon-neutral pagan death cult and the United Nations agreement would have no measurable impact on the temperature in, guess what, 100 years. So it has nothing to do with saving the planet or climate. The issue's never been the issue, and it's not about them wanting to save the environment anyway. In fact, Karl Marx would salivate at this idea of using phony junk pseudoscience and doctored climate models to, what, dupe the public into thinking they're responsible for heating up the Earth's atmosphere for what you exhale CO2? I mean, how bizarro is this? Oh, it, it's very crazy. And, uh, you know, you make a lot of good points. And, you know, we look back to uh, a little bit of the history, I guess the recent history of, you know, what what sprung this back into the forefront of, of people's attention. And, uh, you know, some of it can be brought back to, to the inconvenient truth given by Al Gore in 2006. There's a great article. It's up on Hagman Report from uh, today, earlier today. An inconvenient review 10 years after Al Gore's film is still alarmingly inaccurate. And this article goes through a lot of the claims that he made during his film, uh, including you know how, how uh, carbon emissions, carbon dioxide emissions, would spur catastrophic global warming that would cause more extreme weather, rising sea, uh, sea levels, and you know this would lead to the deaths of millions of people unless we we did something to to stop it immediately but you know one thing that escapes the logic and common sense of the people who who spout this this nonsense as if um the climate hasn't changed in the past but then they don't look at is you know the science of the history of the climate and you know if we if we believe what what scientists say and what fossil and and soil records show is that this planet has had a history of ice ages and warming periods without the uh, carbon dioxide emissions of you know machines or modern the, the modern industrial age many times over again and there's been huge uh, shifts in temperature and, and weather uh, many times over on this planet so we're we're and we're walking into this being told that this science is the way this is and I covered this last week because um, Michael Savage made a good point about this, um, you know, about how these people believe, uh, how Obama would state during his presidency that the uh, the debate is is closed, 
meaning that the science says man-made global warming is that just that man-made and there's no room for any corrections or or changes in that mentality and michael savage went on to make the point that uh, no scientific uh, theory is ever you know completely closed or off limits people are always able to go back and challenge the science and uh, you know with experiments and, and theories and different things and that if if a scientific debate was closed in any or in all realms of, of science, the scientific debate, that you know, great works and the inventions of the 19th and 20th century would have never uh, been given to us. And I know I didn't do a great job of, of explaining that, but uh, there are a number of problems just in the in the rationale when looking at the history of the Earth and what scientists claim you know went on during the history of the Earth. I think the last ice age was just 10,000 years ago. How did we come out of that ice age if it wasn't for, you know, increased carbon emissions? And you're right, Sheila, these claims of, of temperature rising um, are, are very weak because they're based on phony, manipulated data. So it's hard to tell what's true and what's not true. And this is where a lot of the people get, you know, run into this brainwashed mentality. They're being told, you know, that it's this, that it's that, and they just believe it. They don't do the research. They don't want to do the research. They believe that they've found some truth just because it's told to them, and it begins and ends there. And it's very misguided, it's very dangerous, but the disinformation campaign is working. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned Al Gore. He says the debate's over. You know, the science is settled. The science has never been settled, and science is never settled. It's ongoing. That's so true he said, because there's never even been a chance for an open debate, because Al Mm -hmm. Gore refuses to debate his detractors. And by the way, Al Gore is coming out with a new movie, uh, kind of a part two, uh, 2.0 of this inconvenient truth or convenient lies, as I call it. He, he's also on the heels of that. Now, that is set for July 28th of this year. And of course, Paramount is saying it's getting really poor, you know, pre-reviews, not surprising. But Al Gore is actually back re-engineering the world, Joe, with a 15 trillion, trillion with a T, carbon tax. So not just as fat Albert Gorey, as I call him, the only client, you know, though I think the only green he actually really likes is cash. He's not just pelting us with this more nauseating, inconvenient facts. Oh, sea levels are rising 20 feet by next Wednesday. And, you know, 2010, New York was supposed to be underwater. Every single one of their predictions fails. And what do they say when they're called on that? Well, and it's like a really good example that Mark Morano gave on my show last week. He said, it's like if I say, Joe, you're going to die at the beach this weekend. And you phone me when you come back and you say, well, I didn't die. And I said, well, you know, it's because I told you about it. And you probably would have <laughs> drove slower and you would have took precautions. You still didn't die. So their predictions are never right. They always say, well, we have to wait 50 years to see what happens. But meantime, they want to get rid of our SUVs. They want to get rid of our appliances and swap them out with all this smart grid, smart appliances, smart meters. I mean, this is serfdom by stealth, as Huxley put it. We'll make them love their servitude. It's just like uh, Maurice Strong said at the UN Rio Summit. He said, this is a profound reorientation of every single thing you do. What do they want? They want complete control over every... This is all about control, Joe. They want control over every area of your life. So now, anyway, Trump getting back to uh, Trump's climate deal. So when Trump did this big announcement, look at all the opposition he's facing. I mean, the lef- the lefties, the the liberal, uh, I'd call them the the lunatic liberal lefty lemmings. They're they're going crazy. They're melting down all weekend. Total liberal 
meltdown over his uh, nullification. And what does that demonstrate? To me, it just really shows us that these climate change cultists, they will not stop until they just pummel the people with these fanatical climate change slogans like, oh, you know, he's totally given up on America. No, you know what this Paris Climate Accord scam is? It's a genocidal attack on plant life. And guess what? You know, Obama was famous for doing this. What did he do? He went to the EPA, got them to classify what you and I breathe out, exhale as a deadly pollutant. CO2 is not a deadly pollutant. It's a God-given necessary byproduct for human life. It greens a planet. In fact, we need more parts per million. And CO2 has no correlation with temperature, Joe. So when Donald Trump is lambasted by all these, well, like today, for example, a German newspaper with the headline, Earth to Trump, F blank blank K, you know, the word rhymes Mm -hmm. with truck, F U. So, I mean, not just the liberals are losing it, but now world leaders are uniting to criticize Trump. you got a U.S. top diplomat in China. He's quit over Trump's climate policy. What did Huffington Compost, as I call them, what did they print on the weekend? Trump to the world, drop dead. So it's okay for, you know, it's okay for the red-headed stepchild to hold up a severed head of Donald Trump, that degenerate, and, and just say, well, basically, you know, he, he brutally just beat me into submission. I had no choice, but, you know, what is, like, what kind of insane asylum do we live in where this liberal logic is even acceptable by anyone? It's just insanity, Joe. Well, you're you're right on the money there. It is insanity to the highest degree. And, you know, what what bothers me about it is that the, the government and the media have a have a ancestral marriage when it comes to these type of of um, whether they're international treaties or agreements. You know, we saw this with NATO, we see it with the TPP, we're seeing it with this treaty. And I don't know how much of the into the numbers or into the science you want to get into this, Sheila, but um, you know, Trump and his administrations made some good points as to why they were pulling out of this. Under this agreement, China, that this agreement wouldn't even have, have taken effect until twenty twenty. China would be allowed to increase their carbon emissions, which is the number one carbon polluter in the world, for the next 10 years, till 2030, while the U.S. would have to reduce theirs by 26% in that same time. And we would be paying uh, other underdeveloped nations for the carbon we did emit. So, uh, and, you know, we have never-Trumpers, we have the left, obviously, we expect this kind of crap from the left. But, you know, when we see it also from the right, and there's a good example of this, um, a story in Newsweek today ran a story claiming that Trump cited inaccurate weather reports as a reasoning for his pulling out of the Paris Climate Accord and suggested a disbelief in climate science. Uh, this, you know, from, from Newsweek. But we know that it was a, uh, an economic thing uh, was the number one reason, and because America is always getting the short end of the stick in these uh, agreements or in these treaties and here we have as you said the, the complete insanity of the, the liberal media uh, there was a great uh, Washington uh, what is it here it was the Washington or the Free Beacon that aired a, or put together a video on and recently released it on their YouTube channel uh, we're all going to die it was titled and it was a compilation of clips that showed all these different uh, you know pundits and networks freaking out over the fact that Trump was pulling out of the climate accord 
and stating, you know, you know, we're all going to die. There's going to be, a, you know, mass deaths of, of hundreds of thousands of animal and plant species because of this. You know, we're going to have massive tidal waves. On and on and on. Um, and it is, it is just crazy. And it seems that, you know, like no other time in history with the left-right paradigm, you expect the other side uh, to some degree to, to, you know, exaggerate with claims about the president. Now we have it from both sides of the aisle where the Republicans, um, and even if you want to call them conservatives, in many cases are not, well, rhinos, the Republicans in name only, are are standing together with the liberals and attacking the president because he's an outsider. Um, you know, if Obama, what do you think? Say Hillary Clinton were the one to be president right now, and she were to reach the same conclusion, do you think she would be she would be praised? Uh, yes. How do you think yes. that would play out? Oh, yeah, she would be because again, it's any time you have a guy that's come in like Trump, that's he's kind of classified as a rogue, out of control vigilante rebel. I mean, even Ronald Reagan was classified as the rogue cowboy. Remember that? So I think Donald Trump should actually win a medal of political courage for pulling out of this abhorrent treaty that, by the way, in my opinion, Joe is straight from the pit of hell. Think about this, folks, this Paris Climate Accord. It would be the most expensive global agreement in world history. It's foolhardy, it's foolish, it's horrendously costly. We don't even really know where all the hundreds of trillions of dollars are going. And by the way, there's this green fund, I mean, that's a whole show in itself. So no one really knows where all this money is going. But we can guess, probably to line the deep state, the AKA, we used to call them shadow government pockets. And like you said, China doesn't have to do anything in this treaty, one of the top polluters of the world. This treaty has no basis in science. But actually, even worse, it has no cost-benefit analysis. It's like if you buy insurance on a place where, number one, your insurance policy is worth more than your house. Oh, and by the way, if your house, something happened to it, you get nothing. No one in their right mind would go for a deal like that. So even if you, you did, okay, let's say you have people out there that actually do believe in some of the United Nations assumptions and biases every single thing they claim about the science. Let's say you bought into it. Well, even if you did, nothing they proposed, Joe, ever impactably, you know, does anything to the climate. You wouldn't be able to detectably impact any of their so-called solutions because the climate is really generated by the sun. And you know what? The climate's under God's benevolent design. You couldn't save the planet if you wanted to. So not only would you not be able to detectably impact the climate or measure the temperature difference in a 100 years, and that's assuming all the countries did it right to the letter, if we did face a climate apocalypse, as they're saying, as Al Gore says, a climate catastrophe, well, you certainly don't need United Nations, as I call Satan Central, to sit there and decide what energy mix countries should have. These UN bureaucrats do not have to be in charge. We don't need central planning and global governments and uh, global governance and wealth redistribution. We've withdrawn from a United Nations climate agreement. Need I say more? Because really, we know the United Nations passed. But you know what I was stunned is it's not just the liberals. You even have Republicans criticizing Trump. I mean, look at some of these even statements from uh, let's take John Kerry. This is stunning what he said. He said, Trump is not helping the forgotten Americans. He pledged to elevate, remember, but instead 
he's going to give their kids asthma. What did Donnie Deutsch say? That hack yeah. over at Clown News. I couldn't believe that he got away with saying this. He said that Trump is a sociopath, a degenerate. The ACLU, like we care what they say, they made this bizarre claim that leaving the Paris Agreement is a massive step back for racial justice and an assault on communities of color across the U.S. So global warming causes racism. And then we've got Fareed Zakir. What did he say? Topping, you know, the crazy train a notch higher, telling Jake Tapper, he said, this will be the day that the United States resigned as leader of the free world. And, I mean, Elon Musk, you've got all these weirdos over at MSLSD. Brian Williams, what did he say? Oh, it's a sunny day in the Rose Garden, but President delivered a dark speech. I mean, what is wrong with this picture? And then, again, it's just stunning, the the compost, the Huffington Post. Drop dead is what Trump says to the world. So, you know, CO2 is not the enemy. It is not. It is the God-given necessary byproduct of human life. And if we don't have a certain part, we die. So remember, thanks to Barry Barack for that, you know, beautiful little deal he did at the EPA. And so, you know, do the research for yourself, folks. This is, you know what this is about? It's about a manufactured problem so they can put in and do this research for yourself. Go read Paul Ehrlich's book and John Holdren, good old Obama's handpicked science are, who said right in his book, Sterilization, we're talking about forced sterilization, forced vasectomies, one-child policies. This is about depopulation. And people don't believe me when I say that. But I'm telling you, not just, you know, they currently met at the Bilderberg Conference in Chantilly this weekend to discuss what more ways to undermine Trump, not just his political position to pull out of Paris, but, you know, I'm sure they're sitting there wondering how they can... uh you know, orchestrate more of the shenanigans. Look at all these false flags we have every other day. We look at two separate things that have happened in in Paris, in in France. I mean, the London Bridge was absolutely atrocious. And I said something where I got so much criticism. I said, "When will we ever have the backbone to do what's necessary to obliterate these savages from the face of the earth?" And when I said that, I actually a lot. You know, I mean, I've lost sponsors. I've got all my YouTubes, mostly like one out of every two or three is now demonetized for content. You know, you just can't say anything. you got to be politically correct because, Joe, we don't want to offend anyone, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and I know we haven't really uh, talked in, in a few months about uh, a lot of these issues, you know, the YouTube issues. We, we basically um, are not able to generate any revenue on yeah. YouTube, and yet they're still demonetizing our videos that they say that are able to be monetized, but there's no ads on them because, you know, I guess that's part of that, that boycott. But real quick, back to the back to the climate and the importance of carbon dioxide. You know, carbon is, is basically, you know, one of life's, it is life's essential building block. And, um, and when I was on Dave Hodges last night, we got into a little bit of the science and how, you know, it, they say one a big volcano eruption it, it emits more carbon dioxide than our whole world can do in a lifetime. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know uh, about what, you know, this is all about money, and you said it best, where um, I think we see so much of this pushback because it was a uh, a scheme to, to generate wealth uh, through taxes of everyday Americans specifically and, you know, uh, industrial nations across the world. And as you said, you can't, 
pay to fix. There's nobody you can pay to fix the earth if it's really in that bad a shape. You can't change the climate. The the climate change comes from the sun. Uh, as you said, Stan Dale talks about it. Many have talked about it. And they talk about how it's not just the earth who are witnessing changes, but all the planets in the uh, in the solar system are seeing changes here or there that are related to the sun. And you can't control the weather on the sun. You can't even control the weather in the earth, however much they try through their different mechanisms. And, you know, why would we see such, you know, this backlash from all... Look at the people who want this agreement. And then just on that basis, you know, we should be able to make a lot of these decisions of what's right for our country based on who is backing them in the first place. When you have the globalists, the heads of, of, of tech industry and, and banking industry and, you know, these um, political oligarchs who continue to not only, uh, you know, criticize Trump but call him names for... Uh, him wanting to keep America first, somehow putting America first has turned into, you know, being a, a hateful racist. I remember you mentioned a speech uh, that Trump gave, and Brian Williams said it was very dark. I mean, think of the inauguration. Trump gave a short, uh, very clear speech talking about putting America first, making America great again, and, you know, the people from MSNBC called it Hitlerian, uh, called it dark then. These people hate America. They hate anything that wants to lift up and better America, even though this is the nation that, you know, they were able to, and these people make more money than, than we ever will, uh, you know, spewing their lies on the news. But they are, I believe they're being paid to continue to push that agenda. And where, why else would we see this, this just huge, massive, uh, you know, criticism of Trump from all corners of the world, from all industries, unless it was going to hurt their pocketbooks uh, or hurt their agenda? And that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, Trump says we could renegotiate this if the terms were better for America, but I doubt that he wants to do that or, or would do that. Um, but it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to see how far insane some of these people have, have gone. And I wonder if it's, if it's fake outrage or if they really have been brainwashed into believing that, you know, this is reality. Well, it's not reality, but they've very cleverly conscripted this reality based on mind control and Hegelian dialect predictive programming. I put this poster up on Facebook. It said, it's a little meme I created. It said at the top, we can tax the air and tell them we're saving the planet. Ha, ha, ha. And it's stupid, degenerate Justin Trudeau the Canadian Prime Minister, and David the Hack Suzuki. But, the you know, back to what you said about CO2, the cabal targeted human CO2 emissions as its ostensible cause because, well, guess what, Joe? CO2 is the natural and necessary trace gas that sustains human life, industrial activity. It's not a priority for these megalomaniacs. That's human life being a non-priority. So to the, you know, the end justifies the means for these people, even if it means wiping out six billion people. Henry Kissinger drafted a, you know, this incredible document. People can look it up. Implications of worldwide population growth. You know, they're always saying, oh my God, the world is getting too populated. Ted Turner, you know, you can Google Ted Turner, global warming, cannibalism. We're all going to be cannibals in 10 years. You know, you got the Pope's handpicked science are running around Schellenhuber saying, hey, guess what? The Earth's carrying capacity should be he told a New York, this is in the New York Post, this isn't Sheila Zelinsky saying the carrying capacity of the planet should be namely below 1 billion people. Look no further than the Georgia Guidestones. Look in Paul Ehrlich's book, Back to Him, an article of faith among these neo-Malthusian snake oil salesmen is that the world is getting 
far too crowded and something's got to be done. So what did he do playing from Marx's playbook? He issued this incredible sterilization policy. And when you go back and challenge these neo-Malthusians on it, they go, well, you know, it's just, we're just putting out a range of options. We're not exactly, you know, we're not really suggesting you do that. But why would you even put that in a book? That And one guy's out there right now proposing that humans should be DNA genetically modified to be smaller so they're not as big consumptions. I mean, forced vaccinations, forced um, sterilizations, and forced vasectomies? What is wrong with this? Thinking about adding temporary sterilants to the water supply, that's right in one of the proposals mentioned in his book. I read it back to, you know, front to back, and I was shocked. And most people, they just think, well, Joe, we've heard every single day that, you know, this is what we're getting a steady diet of all these clown news outfits that are saying, well, it's the hottest year on record. 2013, hottest year on record. 2014, hottest year on record. 2017, and guess what, Joe? It's shaping up to be the hottest year on record. What they don't understand also is that to combat climate change, what they're doing is they're geoengineering us. They're chemtrailing us. What are chemtrails full of? Barium, aluminum, other noxious chemicals to, quote, combat global warming. And a lot of people are out there, and I vehemently disagree with this statement. They're saying geoengineering is causing climate change. That is incorrect. They are putting chemtrails in the air to mitigate climate change. And could that be a byproduct of something? Yes. But listen, all the tornadoes, all the earthquakes, they're just, you know, there's no big massive implosion of all this stuff. You know, it's actually... Uh, it's lining up if you take a, a mean average from the 1900s right up until now. There's nothing over the top about, you know, we haven't even had any F, F4s or larger uh, tornadoes. The hurricanes are all, it's just, you know, part of the, the weather. We used to call this weather, Joe, and that's yeah. stunt part. Yeah, and what's interesting, you made a good point about the, uh, you know, if you take weather statistics from, uh, you know, the 1900, any time really, if you go over, you know, the last 150 years or the last 100 years of weather, uh, there were a few years in, in, uh, after 2010 where we had a big increase of tornadoes, but that was only for a few years. And our hurricanes for the last 10, 15 years are, are, you know, dismal, almost nothing compared to, to what they were, uh, 25 years ago. And we always have, uh, natural disasters that happens, whether they're floods, earthquakes, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes. Those are expected to happen, but we, we've seen a switch in recent years where every time some uh, natural event happens, they automatically will blame climate change. I guarantee the next you know, earthquake that makes news, you will see tweets about how it's Trump's fault for pulling out of the climate accord. And next time there's a hurricane, next time there is a tornado, it's going to be Trump's fault. So it is, uh, you know, we see the news trying to play this game of gotcha, especially with Donald Trump. Well, Gloria Stein just said on record last week that abortion is the answer to climate change. I mean, we're just told a week ago that uh, climate change is causing a lack of sleep. It's causing, you know, every conceivable thing that you can think of, it's causing it. It's causing a rise in car thefts, a rise in sleeplessness, a rise in insomnia, a rise in, you know, you just fill in the blankets. This is all blank on this climate catastrophe, Joe. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, again, back to some of the reactions from the climate change, uh, Paris Accord withdrawal, because they're still coming in. <coughs> Excuse me. This was from Al Gore yesterday. 
Former Vice President Al Gore made the rounds on Sunday morning political talk shows, warning that President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Treaty will lead to the end of the world. I mean, man, uh, you talk about a scapegoat. Uh, Trump seems to be the the number one scapegoat for all evil in the world. They're even, you know, to, to kind of switch gears here, and we can go wherever you want to go. Uh, they're even, anytime there's a terrorist attack now, they turn around, and, and uh, Trump actually was, was ahead of the game, ahead of many of the news agencies, uh, tweeting out what was happening in, in uh, London on Saturday. And, and, and ugh, NBC uh, retweeted, you know, we're not going to uh, repeat the president's tweet because the reports are unconfirmed. We see this constant snubbing. And uh, here, MSNBC's Thomas Roberts says, Is Trump trying to provoke a terrorist attack inside the U.S. for his own gain politically? And then we've seen, you know, uh, even the mayor of London that told Trump last year that he better ease up on his immigration policy or he was going to see more attacks from Islamists in our country. The backward logic, especially with terrorism anymore, is just astounding. The, the Europe is a great example. Whatever European country gets hit with terrorism, you see people calling it, you know, radical Islamic terror, getting, uh, you know, charged with hate speech, uh, depending on what European country you are, and being called Islamophobic or, or xenophobic or whatever the, the word is, uh, you know, and, and we see the backlash of the media is against, uh, or the, the media seems to be more concerned with protecting the sensibilities of Muslims rather than uh, telling them, telling the truth about Islam or even about the terrorist attacks that are that are taking place and the people they cannot be happy we've seen in in Europe just the open door policies and of course they are closer to the middle east they have seen a much bit greater influx and uh, america has been has been blessed or, or fortunate uh, as of late but you know we saw comey and the doj say that there was over a thousand investigations in all 50 states of of uh, terrorists that they were investigating, and many of these same terrorists or these terrorists in the UK, uh, at least in the last two weeks, from the Manchester to London, these were people who were all already on terror watch list, who were all under surveillance by the government. And now Theresa May is coming out saying we have to regulate the internet because it is the safe space for terrorists and terrorism. What do you yeah. make of of what we've seen in in Europe and even the media now? going from the side of reporting news to making excuses for the terrorists. Well, Theresa May, first of all, complete degenerate. She's just a Bilderberg puppet. I mean, the stuff she's saying, it is frightening. And of course, you know, this latest attack comes on the heels of this general election. You've got this mash, you know, mishmash of national campaigning. And, you know, it's funny because all these these libtarded, you know, helly weird crew, as I call them, every other week, it's, well, we just have to open our arms to them. Chelsea Clinton and Katy Perry says, no borders, no barriers. How about no brains, Katy Perry? I mean, these are the kind of ridiculous statements, you know, Hillary Clinton has said on record, well, you know, we just have to open our arms. We have to be the great America that we are and, you know, open the floodgate. And isn't it interesting timing when Trump is actually trying to, you know, sign this executive order, shutting down this flood of immigrants. You know, and look at the Supreme Court judges have done in the past. You've got judges that are coming out and ruling against the Constitution. You've already got the Constitution on life support, and I love what Donald Trump actually said in that epic 
climate speech on Friday, he said this verbatim. He said, you know what, the, high, the, the Constitution is the highest law of the land, and it is my job to protect the American people and the Constitution, and I intend to do it. And I thought, good for him. Because look at it, it's death by a thousand blows. Every single one of the amend, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. Oh, by the way, more gun control. You know, let's ask the experts how gun control works. Idi Amin, Stalin, Hitler, Mao Zedong, they all took the guns, and then what happened? So we all kind of see this tyrannical overreach of the, you know, out of control rogue government, the deep state as we're calling it now. I mean, it's just one of their many, they're just, they're hitting us from every side, Joe. They're hitting us at the kitchen sink. There's not a day goes by when there's not some false flag attack. Now, are people killed in false flags? Maybe. But it's hard to know what is even true and what's not. You, you hate to even think of something legitimately happened that people were legit, but, but no one trusts them anymore. No one trusts the fake news, Joe. No, you're right. And, uh, folks, there's a, I started watching this clip before the broadcast and it's a, it's about a 17 minute clip and I only got about four minutes in there. The video is on real clear politics. It's on a few other, um, websites. It is called Gorka. Gorka calls out Chris Como for classic fake news, and they get into this debate about the travel ban, uh, Chris Cuomo and Sebastian Gorka on CNN, and uh, it's it's just it's amazing, you know the the name calling and and uh, the reasoning. See, one thing that that gets me, I understand how how these people spin the truth, especially in politics. You know, when you when at least when I was brought up. When you think of, of politics, you think of the, the spin. And we see how, you know, even from, at least in, in my experience, from Bill Clinton to George Bush, um, you know, to Obama, the spin that, that these administrations are able to put on their, on their decisions, on their policies, and you do expect a certain level of that. But we've went from, you know, normal, partisan, uh, semi-biased news spin to where we basically have... Uh, the, all the mainstream news networks have gone off their rockers. They are all, uh, there's no doubt about it anymore. There is a huge amount of bias and, and, uh, they don't hide it. They, they're, they don't care. They, you know, even the CNN reporter, uh, calling Trump a piece of, you know, crap, but not using that word, saying he's a disgrace to humanity is the same reporter who was on, uh, the CNN show eating brains with those aborigines in, a, in another country. Uh, Human brains. I mean, the, yeah, human brains. Uh, you know, basically celebrating cannibalism through a, a divert through through with a diversity label. But see, this is what gets me: the what the next Democratic president or the next president, liberal president. This is where I start to get concerned because we see all the news media's true colors right now, and I would hope for most of our audience. Well, for all of our audience, that they are able to see through a lot of the crap just by watching the news and seeing how crazy these people are. But what I'm what I'm worried about is one the the you know this political violence that we've seen since the election, since right before the election and after the election uh, against free speech, against conservative speakers or any speakers, and, and this social justice warrior movement. Now team that up with uh, and team that at, that that political atmosphere up with a leader who is willing to. You know, use the government to censor uh, opponents or the next leader who gets in who talks about you know the the right wing conspiracies. 
where could that put us and you know the the basic trump supporters and and the christians uh and and the the right, the more right leaning uh politically involved people that could put us on the chopping block literally to be rounded up and executed and i know we've talked about that a lot in the past and rightfully so because there have been government documents plans uh you know laws put into place that that suggest that this could happen but never have i seen the atmosphere more ripe for that to be able to happen with the right leader coming along what do you think this will all die down if they get their leader in or do you think that this is just going to increase as we continue to move forward well, I think it's going to ramp up. I think that the ISIS supporters are celebrating the attacks. And, of course, the MSM propagandists, they've been hard work all week at pushing this narrative of the religion of peace. Right, the religion of peace. Yeah, a piece of a dead body here and there. Come on, like, this is not a religion of peace. And look at all these narratives now. They won't call it what it is, a known radical Islamist, because you're not allowed to say that word. It was just a Pakistani that was deeply depressed. I mean, come on, Joe. Are people an Asian this? man. <laughs> an Asian man Does from Pakistan. The UK. Yeah. A 27-year-old Asian Pakistani who was raised by a suspicious group. They won't say radical Islamist. But again, I mean, I'd like to know if your listeners, I'd love to see what the listeners have to say about this phrase. Am I being too harsh when I say when are we going to have the spine and the backbone to do what's necessary to obliterate these savages? I'll say that because it's a family show from the face of the earth. Is that wrong? Oh, that's non-Christian. Right. I forgot. I'm a xenophobic, Islamophobic. What did, what did Loretta Lynch pin say there? Right. We're not going to tolerate any, you know, we're not going to tolerate any anti-Islamic rhetoric. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Joe. yeah. I mean, that's, that, that tells you all, all you need to know about these people. And when just the mere, just the mere identifying, truthfully identifying, rightfully identifying the Islamic terrorism as Islamic terrorism somehow has, uh, you, you become an enemy or a racist when you do that. And these people, the, the, this, this latest attack, these people, after they mowed down, uh, the pedestrians in their, in their rented van, they got out with their knives and said, this is for Islam. This is for Allah. But the news media won't even mention that. I just saw a report today, and I just posted this on HagmanReport.com. Uh, you know how TBS and other uh, TV stations will replay old movies, and uh, well, TBS is replaying Back to the Future, but they're doing it differently than they've done before. This time, they ha- are removing the word "terrorist" from the rebroadcast in the classic '80s movie, um, a favorite for many movie channels. The uh, TBS felt the need to remove uh, to add a modern update showing uh, TBS edited out the word terrorist and glossed over it like it was never in there. Um, why would they do that? You know, why Why would they take the time to do this? And again, we have to ask the question, why are you or I an enemy or have our YouTube uh, channel demonetized, videos demonetized, sponsors walking away for calling terrorist terror committed by um, uh, Muslims for the purposes of furthering Islam, Islamic terrorism, why is that such a bad thing? That tells me that there's not a problem with us. Even the terrorists, yeah. obviously, are, are are way wrong in what they're doing, but they're keeping consistent with their ideology. It's these people who are who control the narrative that, I don't know, they're trying to, to help people accept their, their deaths. They're trying to destroy the country through 
uh, you know, breaking up the, the cultural foundations that it was founded on? What is the possible motivation for not even identifying the reason of terror? And I say that because if there was a Christian or a self-proclaimed Christian who went out there and, and you know, bombed a church or a, uh, whatever else, even shot someone while claiming they're a Christian, it would be on every news station. They would be Christian terrorists, Christian terrorism. It would be in your face, and it would be constant. But you can't even identify the ideology or motivations behind what these Muslim terrorists are doing. Well, what, and what's absolutely stunning about all this, you know, especially with the LGTB, oh, and now it's Q, by the way. i got to throw the queer Q-T, in there. Hey, yeah. that's not me. That's them. You know, and by the way, you know, every other day this, this, you know, I was, I was actually kind of laughing the other day because I was reading this list of 58 genders now, you know, so it's all this litany of gender and a woman married herself a month ago. It's called eunogamy. So there's all this, Jeez. you know, absolute craziness going on. A guy wants to marry an animal. Another guy is spending what, a hundred thousand dollars to turn himself into some kind of an elf. You guys have a seen troll, that. Yeah. Yeah. People marry families, like mothers and sons getting married, and and there was even a father son who was who got married or was trying to get married. I mean, just the most, and and this is being lifted up by by our news. Well, it's a sad state of affairs, and I think this all goes along with some of the narratives that they did. You know, after they brought in the NDAA, they took all these. Um, you know, it was kind of like after the September 11, 2001, and by the way, that was TBS. Don't forget Turner mm-hmm. Classic Movies. That's what, who aired the owner, the CNN, Ted Turner. owner of, of yeah, Clown News that all oh, we're all going to be cannibals and we got too many people using too much stuff. Go look that up. So it kind of interesting. That's their narrative. But Joe, it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, I I just said on a show the other day. I think it's time for time for the pitchforks and hitting the street here because you know, like this is just gone on to the point of absolute three-ring circus. And, you know, when you've got this narrative in everything we do, and I think Steve Quayle, our friend, used the best line ever, the greatest cover-up of history is the cover-up. Why are they always covering up all these facts that, you know, are you'd never hear about this? So that's the thing. Why did they cut that out back to the future? Maybe it's because, what, they think that while doing that, that's what, you know, maybe we don't want to hurt the terrorist feelings, maybe. How about yeah, if I remember, <laughs> sorry for interrupting, Sheila, but if I remember right, the um, the Back to the Future movie, this is when this is the scene where they're at the mall, and it's the Doctor and Michael J. Fox, and they're the Doctor for some reason is being chased by Turkish. I think he stole some uranium for his time machine or whatever, but he's being chased by by Middle Easterners, and I think it, it gives them all the classic you know Middle Eastern look, but. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. just amazing to me that that they uh, they go to such great extent lengths to try to hide something that is, I mean, you you can't even for anybody who does you know one minimal layer of research beyond what the news tells them, it, you can't hide it. You just can't. There's two. We have the internet. We have a free to, free flow of information for the most part out there. But people must have you know. The fake news thing really, I hope, woke a lot of people up, and I believe it has. But I, it has not, not nearly had the effect that I thought it would. Uh, and maybe that's still yet to come. But just the fact that these these news networks still have hun- millions, sometimes, let alone hundreds of thousands of people watching them 
for anything more than entertainment value is still uh, it's baffling to me. I wonder if Hillary Clinton was in that Libyan truck on that movie because didn't they steal uranium? Uranium one, maybe that was the, the word on the side of the van. <laughs> but this is the thing, you know, we we still don't know what happened to all the emails. We never found out what happened with Seth Rich, and if you even talk about him, your your videos are taken down on YouTube. We're never talking again about Comey's obstruction of justice by obstructing justice, which he did with the memo. So you know, all that stuff went away. And suddenly, what's front page news? The red-headed stepchild, her decapitated head, and the London Bridge. So, don't you know? Don't look over here while we've got all this other stuff going on over here. I mean, don't you find that the timing and all this stuff really interesting? When there's the biggest um, cover-up of pedophilia with Pedogate, what they want to just silence that headline? I'll never shut up on that issue because that is straight out of the pit of hell. But yet. Every other day there's, oh, look over here. Forget about Pedogate. We're on to the London Bridge now. London has fallen, Joe. Yeah, and, um, you know, these people um, we see. I don't know if you saw this, Sheila, but one of the most interesting things I saw from this latest London attack was CNN was actually caught staging a false protest by who they said were Muslims holding signs that CNN printed and they were uh, it was a uh, labeled a fake news shot they were staging uh, a false protest to to shape a narrative that Muslims were speaking out against the acts of other Muslims in that country and uh, a person who was an observer uh, videotaped the whole thing and posted it online and that story has gone viral over the last 24 hours uh, 48 to 24 hours and CNN has since denied it saying that's not what they were doing you know they but in the video it clearly shows them giving the signs to the people them uh, CNN them telling people where to stand in the shot how far you know this wasn't some natural spontaneous protest that CNN happened to come upon um, you know there was nobody standing there in the beginning they give the people them signs they line them through there put them all within camera shot and then not only CNN runs with it, runs with it, but the BBC, the AP, and a number of other uh, uh, news sources pick that picture up to put out there to, to create the narrative that Muslims are standing against terror in London. When that was not even the truth, they falsely created and generated that for the purposes of that narrative. And when they get caught and called on it, they won't even admit uh, that that's what they were doing, even though they were caught red-handed on video and by other observers, uh, not just the one video taker. So I don't know if you saw that, but that's definitely something to check out when you get a chance. Well, I didn't, but, I mean, CNN, need I say more? They're one of the most inept tentacles of the deep state. You know, look at all their hit pieces on Trump. I was listening to some of them. I mean, it's hard to bear even five minutes of clown news, as I call them. Other people call them commie news network. But it is actually really hard to listen to some of these talking bobbleheads over there because in the aftermath of this ISIS claimed London attack, what did they do? They trot some hijabed woman out there with a child to hold on to a mm -hmm. sign expressing Muslim outrage. Oh yeah, because Muslims are up in arms about Muslim outrage, really Joe? I mean, do they think we're that stupid? Yeah, they do. I mean, maybe not not all of us and this is what I don't, I don't understand how the rest of the population is so easily manipulated and I, I believe it has to do with, I think that Trump 
is a focal point for this uh, greater deception by the news media because I believe that anything that Trump sides on or talks against, whatever Trump does, these people believe the opposite just out of out of spite that their candidate did not win, that, that you know corrupt Clinton did not win the election. I think that that is a doorway into uh, misleading people about a number of other things. The climate, the, the Paris Climate Accord, the withdrawal from that is another great example. People uh, many of these people who are commenting, they have no experience whatsoever in in actual you know journalism or research even into climate change. And when we look at this, we have to look at the the truth. And when we see that so much of of you know how much of this data was manipulated for these scientists to reach of the these, reach these claims, um, we know that a lot of that can't be the truth. And you never hear about the was it thirty or forty thousand uh, other scientists who have all come together signing petitions against the science behind global warming you never hear about that you always hear oh it's 99 percent you know 99 percent of all scientists in the world agree that man-made you know global warming is is real and it's just as what we say it is but you never hear the other side of that so it's either people's laziness or it's their willingness to believe a lie and i believe it's a dangerous mixture of both well it's 97 let's get this straight it's 97 percent of 62 scientists we don't know what affiliations are with but it's just you know the UN selected hand selected this little 67 group of people that are willing to churn out their narratives so it's not even 97 scientists it's not 97% of all scientists it's 60 it actually is actually 61 according to new stats over there at the um, science.com but it's really interesting that in this narrative you have to remember that you know, they're not going to stop until they impeach Trump. That's what all this is about. If he had said, oh, you know, we've got to go with the Paris climate, everybody would have hammered him for that. Oh, this is the biggest, you know, cause. This is a no-brainer. He should, they just, they will come up with anything they can to defeat what this man is doing. Because what is he really doing at the end of the day? He is really trying to make America great again. Because what did Obama do? Well, we all know what he did for eight years of hell. So that's just it. It's like the scripture says, you know, when a man like that is at the helm, the people rejoice. He's trying, I really believe, that he could go off in the sunset years, take his billions, and go live his life. He doesn't need this headache, Joe. He could enjoy his grandkids and just forget about this massive headache. But instead, Mm -hmm. I really believe he thinks he's the man for the job. And I think that really says something. But here's the thing. You know, we've got a lot of keyboard commando Christians out there and it's always crickets chirping in the church about any geopolitical issues. Oh, we don't want to talk about you know any of these geopolitics, but you know what? There are things that people can do. They can step up to the plate, quit being spineless, you know, quit being cowards, grab a backbone, step up, speak up, speak out, show up, speak up. You know, people are not showing up, Joe. It's it's okay for us to be on the front lines, but other people need to share the stuff that we do. They also need to make phone calls to their senators, to their congressmen, to say, you know what, we're not putting up with this crap anymore. Phone the CNN newsrooms and say, you know what, we've had enough of you fake news. If we had a million people that are willing to make those calls, Joe, I'll tell you what, we tell them what to do, not the other way around. We can shift this. It's kind of like that old, and I'll leave your listeners with this thought of that movie, The Ant Life, he said if, if they all stand up, look what happens. Remember he was alluding to the ants? You know, it's just yeah. one ant. 
But if you all the ants stand up, well, guess what? The tides turn. And that's where it comes down to the Christians need to be actively doing something, making phone calls. And our prayers are so huge. I pray tonight that every single one of you would start a home group if you don't have one. Start doing spiritual warfare for your president, for the White House. Come against, bind these devils that are coming against, all these witches out there on record. Even the L.A. Times did a piece on, oh, their their actual own reporter said, you know what, I am cursing Donald Trump. Are you kidding me, Joe? No, we're not going to put up with this at Christians. We have the power and authority to tread and stomp on these devils. And we should be doing that in spiritual warfare. Every morning we should be praying for this president. That's that's really what I believe in my heart. Well, absolutely. And and when we see, you know, just thinking about this today, the, the normal type of person we see that becomes president in this country and then you know we have Donald Trump who yes is a is a billionaire but he's been a businessman his whole life never involved in in politics and you know beyond that first and foremost is his desire to put america first and the slogan make america great again he's not pulling that out of thin air it's because we have been on a, in just a huge decline when we look at what the federal reserve has robbed from us not that he can get to the to the bottom of the federal reserve but we look at the, the devaluation of our dollar. We just had G. Edward Griffin on, uh, and I know you and me, Sheila, did an interview with him years ago, but we were talking about how much money the, the, the purchasing power of the dollar had lost over the last 100 years. When you see us being entered into these uh, trade international trade deals that, that suck American jobs out of the country, uh, like such as NAFTA, and we were moving into the TPP, when we see all these different things, that how, how globalism and, and the shadow government have been affecting our, our government and our policies, then you have a man like Donald Trump who's speaking the opposite of that and actually following through with many of his promises that he had before the campaign. It is something that we should get behind because we're not, at this point, we're not even behind the man. We're behind the ideology of keeping America great, making America better because when we have a better America, the whole world seems to be doing better, especially and, and only when we're not warmongering at the same time. But Sheila, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, tell people about your latest book. We've got about a minute left. Uh, Power Prayers. They can get it at powerprayers.ca. It's an amazing book. Go read some of the reviews. Just go to powerprayers.ca. You guys know I, I'm really passionate about the green agenda. So, of course, Green Gospel, my book, The New World Religion of Environmentalism, pretty much. Greengospel.ca is, is that book website. But they can find everything, Joe, over at weekendvigilante.com. And I just want to say to people, you know what? America is not the last bastion of freedom. It was the only one. And I really believe the American way of life is at war to the death. And it is time for us to do something. And what can we do? Well, we can start with spiritual warfare. I think that, you know, like Steve said, there's no political solution for a spiritual problem. And I just want to just say God bless your audience and you and your family tonight, Joe. I'm praying for, for your mom and everyone. So God bless everyone. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, it's been a fantastic hour. We'll have to do it again uh, soon, and hopefully we can we can set that up uh, before it, it slips both of our minds. Uh, WeekendVigilante.com is the website. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. And that'll do it for us tonight. Tomorrow we should be uh, back to normal for the most part. My, my dad should be here with me. He hasn't been on the show in, in over a week, I believe. But uh, we're going to try to get things back on track tomorrow. And uh, it should be a fantastic rest of the week. 
Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.